Ramsager's on both! The sword that cleaves evil! And once again, I cut an unworthy object. Sir, that was the last one. We're all clear. Very good, Torres. Tell Astronage and the kid to start repairs on any unit that obeys the laws of physics, and inform every dubious doctor aboard that they need to begin the voodoo that keeps the special units going. Captain Bright, we have a problem on the mobile suit deck. The same two pilots? Yes, the same two pilots. All right, put them on speaker. I mustn't run away! 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 I mustn't run that guy, face my tear revolution, he was totally a rip-off of Ramaral. So Kira's fault! Oh, damn it. What the hell happened in the 90s that made it so you couldn't get a decent teenager anymore? Asuka, Ikari, I don't even have the energy to deal with you right now. So slap each other silly and confine yourselves to quarters. <sighs> Torres, take the con. I'm going to my room. No, Haro. Just no. But could you make yourself useful and play a little music for me? Captain Bright needs to go to his happy place. Branstein, is there nothing you won't interrupt? For starters, I'm not Elzem Van Branstein. I'm Ratzel Fleischmaker, alias Sex Marquise, alias Alex Dino, alias Miguel Sanchez. And the one thing I won't interrupt is RPG Backtrack. Backtrack, where we discuss computer and console RPGs from way back when right up to yesteryear. It's also the place where we can't pronounce any proper nouns, encourage spoilers, and the hosts are trying to figure out how to transform their robots. I am Phil Willis. And welcome to RPG Backtrack number 28, Guest Pins Kick, where we're going to talk about tactical robot action that very seldom crosses the Pacific, among other things. Now, we got a whole cabinet full of guests with us this evening, Mr. Minky. You have been a very busy man. Yes, I have. 
practicing your foreign languages, I see. Yeah, well, you watch these things enough, they become a part of you. How many different parts do you have in you, Mike? You watch a lot of movies. Well, I don't know if we need to go there. It might be disturbing for the people at home if I went into the very many parts that I seem to have. That is a warning I'm willing to take under advisement and move on to our next guest, Mr. Welcome back, Mr. Scott Wakamator. Look, the East is burning red. Oh my gosh, everybody's an actor tonight. Oh, the migraine is kicking in. Miss Sam Marcello. Hello, hello. Oh, sweet mercy. <laughs> Can't take you guys out anywhere. The only person with the with a really cool accent that I like to listen to, Mr. John Callender. Uh, I only speak on this podcast so Noodle can listen to my accent. Sweet. And we have two first-time guests to the show. Let's give a big, grand RPG backtrack welcome to Mr. Garrett Liquid. How are you doing tonight? I'm pretty good. How are you? What kind of a name is that, Liquid? I mean, what, 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 I mean did people make fun of you in school? I mean, what what is that? Hey, I, Metal Gear Solid reference, so how, I was always in the cool... For, for the benefit of our audience, how do you pronounce your name? <laughs> real name or screen name? Your real name. Garrett Lindquist. And your screen name? <laughs> G-Dog Tuck. No, it's... Tuck! Basically, a Klingon threw up, and whatever he said is what I made my screen name. That's right. Y'all can check him out online. What, what do you do at RP Gamer? Uh, I was just hired on for uh, soundtrack reviews and composing some music. Here and there, and um, still working on get it, getting everything up. Working on some Klingon original opera music for the <laughs> listeners of RP Gamer. The Labo was always better than the original Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, why don't you tell us a, a little bit about yourself? Uh, what do you, what what kind of what what kind of RPGs do you like? What was your first RPG? Tell us a little bit about your gaming history. Ah, uh, first RPG. I never got to have the cool systems. It was always my next door neighbor who had all the good stuff, so I'd go over to his house. And uh, basically, I started out by watching him play like Final Fantasy, and uh, moved on to Final Fantasy II, which is Final Fantasy IV for the Super Nintendo. Um, and just kind of went from there. Chrono Trigger, I absolutely love. Final Fantasy VI is my favorite. Um, Final Fantasy VII, I'm a fan of. Final Fantasy VIII, I was gonna say I like just to make everyone mad, but I won't go there. Um, Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> yeah, I think someone else has done that before once or twice. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I love I loved Mass Effect. I just love any RPG that kind of keeps me involved. I am a fan of the Tales, so I, I'm going to have to argue with a couple people eventually. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just all around. I play a lot of shooters and RPGs, and I like when they kind of combine that, which is probably why I like Mass Effect so much. But, um... That's pretty much it. Just work on music and play games. Fair enough. So your favorite RPG are basically those kind of third-person action-y RPGs? Ironically, no. My favorite is still Final Fantasy VI. So, but I mean, your overall favorite type of RPGs, you know, the subgenre. Yeah, now it's now it's ones that are just too intense that they're almost mistakenly shooters. Mm. Because of my extreme ADD, I gotta, I don't know, otherwise I tend to walk away after an hour or two. But, you, but your answer for the favorite RPG of all, all time, Final Fantasy VI, is acceptable. You can stay on the show. 
Awesome. Had, had you said Final Fantasy VII, I would have to eject you from a cannon, and you would land somewhere in Asia where Mike is currently residing. <laughs> you know, close second, though, now is Costume Quest. i got to shout that out there. Ah, well... <laughs> Talk a little bit about. I, I will talk about a little bit about that in just a minute. Before we do that, let Had us. You it, said sort of vermilion. We would all have stoned you. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> Without further ado, let's introduce our second new surprise guest of the evening, Mister Nathan Shalowatan. How do you pronounce that? Uh, it's Nathan Slothan. I I don't know. How would you say it, Mike? I like yours better. Slothan. I love it. Oh, it sounds more oh, German. Oh, well, that's not quite right. Yeah, it's know. close enough, though. It's your Slow new thing? last name. Go change it. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, uh, and yes, when I say goes, I have the power to make the law give you a new name. Uh-huh. Nobody yep. knew that before now. Yep, 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 yep. Nathan, why don't you uh, tell our audience an RPG Backtrack, what is your handle on RP Gamer, and what do you do? Okay, I go with the name Twin Bahamut on RP Gamer. I'm mostly a news guy. I write a lot of news articles, put up a lot of screenshots. That's mostly it. Hey, it's a lot of work, and it's a it's a tough job. I did it for a while. So, um, give us a little brief gaming of uh, brief overview of your gaming history. Uh, what brought you into the RPG family? Because we're just one big happy family here. Yeah, I mostly started with the original Dragon Quest, well, Dragon Warrior on the NES. I was never any good at it, but eventually. I made me play Fall Fantasy 4, which made me fall in love with the entire genre, and I've been playing them since. Uh, not much else to say on the fact I've played a lot of RPGs in the years since. Mm-hmm. Sweet. So, what's your what's your favorite subgenre? Are you still sticking with those classic-style uh, RPGs? Oh, my favorite is still the classic SNES, early PlayStation-era kind of categories of RPGs. Do, do you like some of the newer classic style RPG releases like Dragon Quest IX that don't stray too far from the formula, but they're still new, fresh releases. Yeah, I, I really like Dragon Quest IX. I'm having a lot of fun with Four Heroes of Light, so yeah, I kind of like those games. Ah, oh, Four Heroes of Light. I'd be interested to see what your final word on that is when you're done with it. Because um, that, that I'm kind of curious about. So, But you're liking okay. it so far? Yeah, I really like it so far. I mean, still have a lot more to play. I've been distracted. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Cooly, cooly, cooly. Um, let's see here. So, um, do you have your which? So, you, would you say Dragon Quest? What is, is your favorite game of all time? Do you have a particular favorite uh, game? Quest, I really hate in retrospect. <laughs> uh, my favorite game of all time is actually probably Xenogears. That's why I typically use the answer. Ah, that's a good one. Not too many people say that one, but it is a pretty good, darn good RPG. All right, well, cool. Welcome aboard, uh, both you guys. Uh, really great to have you on RPG Backtrack. Looking forward to chit-chatting about some new, fun, and exciting things before we move on to our first main segment. We'd like to chit-chat just a little bit about any uh, new old games that have gone up. And by new old games, we, t- we like to talk about games like that of Gog or the PSN Network or something like that that are classic games that are being re-released. And uh, I believe that um, Neverwinter Nights, the Diamond Edition, hit GOG not that long ago. Isn't that right, Miss Sam? This week? Yeah. Well, it wasn't this week. Well, since our last well, backtrack. last week, I guess. Yeah. It was like It last... still works. Yeah, it still works. Yeah. <laughs> so Editing Never... time, it's still going to be the wrong week. <laughs> yeah. Neverwinter Nights was really, was really, in my opinion, was a really cool um, RPG, but it really wasn't for the main story. Um, it was mostly because of the modability and the ability to download um, 
games that other people had designed and stuff. Did you get to play with any of those, uh, anybody else? That's all I did with Neverwinter Nights. Yeah. I never actually played the main game. It was me and my friends hanging out in ba- various basements, uh, doing, creating mods. Ah, so you're, you were one of the mod makers. Yeah, I spent a lot of, we spent a lot of time doing dungeon design. Didn't they have, a, I forget what the name of the site is now, but there was a site you could go to download and rate mods too. Yeah, there was. Um, I don't think we ever actually put anything up because we were afraid of criticism on the internet back then. Ah. Uh, ah. Uh, well, uh, that's a shame. You should have. So you never did actually play the main campaign then? I I did not because I didn't actually own it. I just went over there and was like, no, no, no. We need tra- We need a spear trap here and two more goblins in this room. Ah. <laughs> uh. You know, I, I will tell you, if, if you if you play through the man campaign, it definitely comes across as a little dry. And I didn't play any of the expansions that are included with the Diamond Edition, but I did play through a good, good, good portion of the main campaign. And you know, on one hand, it's fun because it's the D and D rule set. And if you like it, if you like it like I do, I love the flexibility it gives you in the in the in the cre- character creation process. Um, that feels very open in how much you can do there. The there were some interesting conversations that would happen between you and whatever character you picked up in your party um, at times, but for the most part, the main story was kind of cut and dry, and it really didn't spur me on to see what was gonna gonna you know go on next or whatnot. At any rate, uh, but the, I heard I heard from some of my friends the expansions were definitely a little bit better. So you get the whole package now on GOG for a whopping ten dollars with all the expansions and whatnot. So comes with uh, Shadows of Undrin Tide or whatever it's called in Hordes of the Underdark, as well as Kingmaker. So definitely something to check out for for ten dollars. Definitely a great deal. And I'm sure you can find. Uh, in fact, uh, Mr. Garrett Liquid over here says that the website for those uh, mods is uh, www.moddb.com. So cool site to check out. Do any of y'all know of any other? Um, any of the? Uh, has there been any other new releases on in PSN or Wii Network or anything like that? Well, we mentioned last time about Ark the Lad and Alundra. Well, Victor Ireland was cool enough to send us some codes for the games, so I'm playing through them now, and I'm going to be writing a preview for the site on how they stack up now. Oh, sweet. So definitely all of our listeners, make sure that you keep an eye open for Miss Sam's uh, previews on those games coming up, impressions or whatever we're calling them these days. Awesome, See, awesome. I feel I feel bad because these are two games that I didn't – you know, have the opportunity to play when they first came out most because working designs games are so expensive. They are. They absolutely are because they always pack them with lots of, they would always pack them with all these extras even in the PS1 days. They had, yep. I, I can't remember what that package had, but I remember sometimes getting extra dice and little books and all kinds of stuff. Well, the Ark the Loud one was huge. Like, it was three games plus the arena and then there was like, I think it was a map and a watch and a couple other things. I know I have one of the boxes. I have a, I have Lunar 2's box, and like that thing looks like it's gonna like explode every time I open it. Hmm. <laughs> so well, definitely, we'll have to. You know, I'll, I'll I'll hold my my opinion for when you're ready to have a little chit chat. We can we can talk about it at the same time. Huzzah! <laughs> All right. Well, um, while y'all are looking looking on your PlayStation Network and figuring out how to download uh, Ark the Lad or you're on GOG downloading Neverwinter Nights, we're going to take a little bit of a break and we'll be right back for Blast from the Recent Past.
talk about tonight on Blast from the Recent Past. Well, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna start with uh, with a PlayStation Three awesome RPG. We're gonna put the fir- best for first instead of last. Valkyria Chronicles. Uh, this was uh, developed by Sega. Wow, wow! It even has Wow in the name. And uh, published by Sega for the PlayStation 3. It was released here in North America November 4th, 2008. About two years ago, of course. That's why it's on blast from the recent past. This is a tactical role-playing, real-time strategy game. How how many words can they put in that? Tactical role-playing, real-time strategy game, which is an appropriate description. Single-player game for your PlayStation 3. And it is rated T for teens. So, Scott, you can't play it. Let's... (laughs) Did anybody play Valkyria Chronicles other than myself? I, I certainly to. did. I've played it quite a lot. So let's start with Mr. Liquid. Mr. Liquid, do you remember <laughs> enough about the game to, to tell us what it was about? Tell, give, paint us a picture here. What was what was Valkyria Chronicles all about? Uh, I believe, from what I remember, this might be a little shaky, but it was an, an alternate version of 1935, and uh, kind of like World War II style, or world world war, I don't know, a mixture. Some kind of war was going on, and uh, it was basically, yeah, that's about how much I remember. <laughs> I remember there was, you know, there was a big imperial force trying to take over the the, the lands, whatever they called Gallia or something like that, and and you play a, a, a starter, a kind of like a starter kid. Um, there, these things always come down to teenagers for some reason. Uh, who is basically thrown into one of the armies and put into a leadership position rather quickly with a with a ragtag band of people. And uh, Sam says his name is Velkin. Um, and yeah, basically, and, his dad was some war hero, so everyone yeah. looked to him for guidance. And he is a university student of some sort, the university that trains these kids to go out and kill themselves at the ripe old age of sixteen years old with spiky hair. And he's he's basically leading a ragtag band, one of the ragtag squadrons that normally you wouldn't think would make much of a difference in a war, but of course they're going to. Um, that's the, There was more plot to it than that, but the rest of it kind of escapes me because I really care as much. The story was really good, honestly, though. You, I cared about the characters. It was the plot that the plot was kind of cliche with the Imperial Army trying to come and take over and whatnot. In my opinion, the plot was kind of a throwaway, but the characters and, and some, of, some of the development, but just watching the characters act on the screen was the big was the big treat for for me. What, what about you, Nathan? What kind of impression did you get from the story? Oh, I really liked the story of Valkyrie Chronicles. Um, I'm not sure what to say about it. It's a nice story of just people fighting a war. Um, yeah. I would have a really touching love story in there. Uh, nothing too fancy, but it's because it wasn't too fancy. It was quite good. Uh, I don't like... Un- do frills in a story, and it had quite a just nice focused story that was quite rather entertaining to me. But one thing that really, uh, the story was really great, but there was a couple of other elements that really made this game stand out from anything like it in the past. Uh, one of the first ones that's most noticeable was the art direction and style. Uh, this was uh, an anime-looking game. That's nothing new. But what was really awesome was just how well the graphics were executed. Cell-shaded graphics with something that i really never seen done this well before. They had cross hatch shading going on in real time. That's a terminology that artists uh, use in comic books and stuff. Back in the old days, 
uh, when you didn't have fancy colors like we do on comic books nowadays, you used l- straight lines running parallel, you know, real close to each other. You cross-hatched your lines to kind of make it look like there was a shadow there. Well, in this game, they've got that going on all over the place. The fact that it's happening in real time when these characters are moving and talking is just really a sight to behold with the shells, with the cell shading. And it's just absolutely beautiful. The colors, the contrast just really bleed off the screen. The animation's done really, really well. I mean, I thought it was beautiful. Um, it, it, you know, even during the battles and stuff with the special effects, the smoke and the, the some of the comic writing you see, I thought it was awesome. What, what did you guys think? Go ahead, Nathan. Well, yeah, the definitely visually speaking, the game is absolutely gorgeous in a way few games are. Uh, I don't know what else to say about it. Yeah, I mean, you have to really, and you have to really see it for yourself because the screenshots are pretty, but uh, when you see it in motion running at full speed, it's just, it's like seeing some of your, you know, your best animes and done in a way that you just don't really see because of the way that the cross hatching and the cell shading works. It's just really, really well done. What about you, Gary? Did you walk away with a good impression too? If you did, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, that's good. I, I thought it was nice based on just even though the, kind of art direction they went with it, they were still able to convey a, a good amount of emotion, even though everything was done with the in-game engine. And that was really cool. That really kind of sucked you into the story. Yeah, yeah, it really helped out a lot. But um, probably the element that most made the game most memorable was was the gameplay. Because the, the, now the gameplay was the real meat and potatoes here. It, it definitely has some RPG elements, especially in the way that you develop your team after every battle and stuff. Uh, but the gameplay itself during the battles is what really stands out. So in the description, the genre description is tactical role-playing real-time strategy. And it absolutely positively, they should have put a first-person shooter or a third-person shooter in there as well. Because that that's exactly what it is. It's a combination of all these different elements. When it's your, t- when it's your team's turn, you have your 10... 10 army people or 5 or however many you have on your team. You pick one, you move them one at a time. Um, as uh, uh, when, you, when you pick a character to move from the map, you actually, the camera goes right behind them. You run them around very much like a third person shooter. Um, every time you start moving, if you're within range of an enemy, that enemy can start firing on you, so you've got to be careful where you're moving. Uh, when you're ready to take a shot, though, everything pauses uh, so that you can line up your shot the way you want, shoot the guy right in the head if you want to, and whatever have you. Um, which I would do a lot, and um, and then that character's turn is over. Now, in most tactical RPGs, once one character has gone, you have to move all the other characters one time. But in this game, you can actually move the same character multiple times because um, you've got a number of turns at the top, and it doesn't matter where you spend them on. If you move the same character again, however, he won't be able to move uh, quite as far as he was on his first go-around. I guess he's a little tired or something. So it was a, it was an it was definitely an interesting concept. Before I go on further, do do any of y'all want to add to that overall description of of how the the combat worked? Did I kind of get everything? Because this was a few years that I played it. Well, we can at least mention the cool class system of the game, which is it mm-hmm. kind of really does something with its different the balance of its different classes, which is very different than any other game I've ever seen. So, just kind of cool that they differentiate classes in ways that I've never seen classes differentiated before. What did you think, Garrett? Uh, thing I was going to add is like uh, it, it got a little more depth as far as uh, engineers, um, or well, with snipers, for example, they have limited ammo. They could actually run out of ammo when they're in the field, uh, so you had to have a good variation of, of like engineers, so they could go and actually replenish the ammo of different characters. So not only did you have to worry about like having a, a good attack, keeping a good line of defense in case they 
rush you, but you had to worry about supplying your guys with ammo. Um, tanks could break through certain objects. They could even be, um, like, a barricade if you wanted it. Um, there was elements like hiding in grass, like actually crawling through the gra- grass and getting, like, a surprise on uh, different enemies. Just a lot of stuff with it. It, w- it was fantastic. So there's, there's, no, there's no doubt that that the gameplay itself was was very very original, and um, yeah, you had a lot of variety in the different class systems and how you could you could work those and, and work them together and whatnot. What did you all think about the overall experience with the combat as you actually went through the different boards? And I, I don't know how far y'all got in the game. Did you manage to complete it or whatnot? Um, I completed the game. I'm kind of working through it slowly on hard mode and download all the DLC content. So I played it a lot. Mm-hmm. I got pretty far. I haven't finished it quite yet. Mm-hmm. And what was what was what was your Im- impression overall of the of the overall you know battle system? Does it does it really really draw you in, or were you just getting through it to get to the good story? Or I mean, what was your overall overall impression? Could it use some improvement, or was it just absolutely the cat's meow? What do you think, Nathan? Oh, I think the system was just brilliant. I don't know what else to say. It's just like. The kind of trying to get an S rank in each map is like a really difficult but sophisticated puzzle, and it's kind of that's the way to approach it, and it's really good from that perspective. How about you, Mister Liquid? Um, actually, I thought the the fighting was the thing that kept me there the most. Um, between fighting, there's kind of story segments you can do where you you can kind of watch optional side quests, or you can kind of follow what the story is. And, and sometimes I was just dying to return back to a battle. So it was, it was definitely the fighting that kept me there the most. I I was I was kind of at first I was really really wowed over with the freshness and the original uh, angle on the battle system. I mean, it's just so fresh. I played so many RPGs, and it was such a, you know such an original combination of. I love tactical RPGs. I love real time strategy games. So it had some it had some really really great ideas, and the, the original freshness was really great. I got a little frustrated as Nathan said. You know, a lot of times you have to approach it like a puzzler. And this is absolutely true because what would happen, especially some of the later battles, is instead of providing a more strategic challenge, um, they would they would put in these elements like a big boss or a tank or a train or some sort of mechanic going on in a particular battle that playing your first time through, you wouldn't even know what was going to happen until you were halfway through the battle. Um, on this one particular battle, you get halfway through, and all of a sudden these tanks would literally be plopped down on a certain portion of the map. And and if you were just happened to be in the wrong position, not knowing those tanks were going to show up, you would you would be at a severe disadvantage. Whereas the next time you play through that map, you know those tanks are going to show up by a certain point in the in the battle. So you could actually say in advance, I'm going to go ahead and put a lancer there that can take out tanks really great. Um, you know, put a lancer or two there, and bam, that that board becomes a cakewalk. So there's this big huge puzzle element. Knowing what's going to happen ahead of time becomes a huge advantage, rather than your typical approach to a strategy game is regardless, like I play StarCraft, and regardless that I even kind of know how the AI works some, most of the time, I still have to make decisions on the fly, I still have to maneuver on the fly, and it, it kind of it kind of left me with a mixed taste. I want to go back and do the regular battles against the computer more than the story battles, which tend to come off with more of these, of these puzzle elements that kind of got me a little frustrated without repeated attempts or knowing what was going to happen ahead of time. What do you think, Garrett? I completely agree. Um, one other thing, too, is some of the battles in that game can take a really long time. And 
for it to have to sometimes rely on the whole trial and error basis, I think that was probably the most discouraging thing with it. But that's that's like very minuscule compared to what you can compare with some games because otherwise it was it was absolutely awesome. What about you, Nathan? What did you think about that angle? Well, I don't think the length of battles is too problem because it has a really good mid battle save system, so you can always just go back a single turn and retry to be saved and such. So as long little... as you didn't save like right after the tank sh- <laughs> or right before the like I've saved it before, where like in my tank example, right before the tank showed up. So at that point, I can't go back to that save because it's yeah. too late to do anything about it. Well, that particular thing happens like two turns into that battle, so I mean that particular thing is the bad case of it. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't, it's like, it's, it happens, in, it's just really regulated to some of the story battles that, that get you through the main story. Like, it doesn't happen with the main, it doesn't happen with what you were talking about, Garrett was talking about earlier, as far as the side quests, which are really just straight up fights between you and the CPU. Um, these are just for these big boss type of battles, or the main story battles, where these these mechanics would just pop up out of nowhere. And it wasn't like every single time I was having to reload or restart over. But I will say, and anything that had a gimmick, like the big train that came through, or anything like that, or the the, foul, the fights against Sylvie, whatever her Sylvania, or whatever her name but was, Sylvania. Yeah. yeah, it was like I had to totally surround her a certain way just to damage her because she had this immunity to normal front end damage and whatever have you. It was one of those gimmicks again. You had to figure out exactly how to take her down because she went take down as a conventional soldier or even just a conventional soldier with a ton of hit points and higher defense. No, she was literally immune unless you approached her in exact certain way, very much like a puzzler. So, yeah, once you get over that, once you played it through once, it's not such a big deal anymore. Just be prepared going in. It's totally offset, of course, by the fact that it's such a, an original original game. But I think they kind of had to do that because when you play against the computer, because it, it, once you figure out how to exploit the system, I mean, did any of you guys figure out that, hey, I can take one character, even a scout or something, especially a scout because they had such great running distance, run up, pop a guy in the head from behind, then move him again, pop around, pop another guy behind the head. My one scout could take out three people, and there wouldn't be somebody, you know, that they would be good. I could actually win some of the maps with just one person. Did, did you see that? Well, yeah, you no. kind of need to do that for S rank, for getting S ranks on various missions and such, especially on higher difficulty ones. I mean, encourage you to exploit the game mechanics, even show you how broken the AI is. It's not actually that the AI is broken. I think it's just a thing with the game, the game mechanics, to where if the AI played exactly like as a human, it would become a very boring game really fast. Because if the AI came and headshot all of your characters on its turn. I, I think you would have a very short game. <laughs> I think I think you'd be reloading a lot, or 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 you'd be uh, reviving people back at your base a lot, or something. Well, so, it's the, fair in that it's you can like you, there are things you can do to completely protect yourself from headshots and such. I mean, that enemy will headshot you if you don't use cover and such. So yeah, that. using the cover helps. Yeah, if someone was covered really well, the headshot mechanic didn't quite work as well. Obviously, if they're really covered, though, I think you still hit them from behind in the head, right? If they were in cover? No. Yeah, no, you're right. Even if you're behind and they're in cover, that was kind of funny, too. You're, like, right behind them. The the bags are on the other side, but you can't shoot them in the head because they're officially under cover. That was hilarious. But for the most, I, you, gotta, you know, I, I hopefully hopefully that would be something they, they attack on the second one. I haven't had a chance to play with the second one yet. But it's a very beautiful game, as much as I criticize. I criticize and critique because I love strategy games and I love tactical games. I love them to be full of strategy, tactical goodness. But it was a beautiful game, and I love playing through it. I need to play through the DLC, too. I need to play through it again. 
So, does anybody know what our next game is? Mm, no. I think Sam might. I think Sam might. Yes, Sam knows this it? next game very well. Rune. You don't have to talk about it at length, but yeah. you do have to talk about it. Rune, a factory tool developed by Neverland Company, published by Nasume. And this is on the Nintendo DS, release date November 18, 2008. This is a simulation RPG experience. ESRB, everyone. This Go is a it, horrible, Sam. horrible, horrible, horrible game. Now, Sam, how can it be horrible? This is the first game since we started talking about review system that has an ESRB rating of E for everyone. Everyone likes this game. That's a lie, and you know it. <laughs> is, is it e- it's one of the first games I had to review to for the site. And, like, I love the first Rune Factory game. Like, love it. I still finished it because I'm taking my dear sweet time with it. At the same time, Rune Factory 2... Well, let's put it this way. Rune Factory 2 is kind of like Fantasy Star 3. There's a generational system, except that you don't get to know the Bachelorettes at all because they're, they all have the same one-liners, are kind of airheaded, and pretty much just wander around town going la di da di da like most Harvest Moon heroines, so... Let's just forgive it for that. So, there's two parts to the game. One part you play as amnesiac, amnesias, I can't even say the word. Hero who has amnesia. Yes, I can't say the word tonight. Hero with amnesia who's all like, I have to get married. So that way I can continue my quest. So you have a kid after you get married and he's all like, my daddy ditched me. I need to go find him because he doesn't love me anymore and I need to make him love me again. Yes, your father actually ditches you in the game. Aww, so it's kind of like Rune Factory. What, what, what the heck? Deadbeat dad syndrome. This isn't cool. So pretty much my beef with the game was the fact that the hit detection... Like, it's an action RPG. But by golly, was the hit detection horrendous in this game. Like, you could hit something, but the game would not register that you're hitting it which is a big... It made it almost virtually unplayable at some points because it also had a lot of slowdown. Like, I don't know if other people encountered it when they played it, but when I posted the review, a lot of people complained that they didn't experience the slowdown. I did, and that really ruined the game for me. I think I spent, like, a good couple of months just yelling and screaming at my DS and trying not to throw it. Wow. I... I didn't like it. And that's why I'm very nervous for the rest of the Rune Factory series, because I really like the first one. The second one was a big disappointment for me. And the third one has Guy turning into sheep. Nice. Oh, and let's not forget that Rune Factory... (laughs) Rune Factory Oceans has um, Guy who can gender bend. So it's like like Rune Factory... Exactly like the Steve Martin movie. But in all seriousness, I'm... Bah, Rune Factory, what's up with your deal? Seriously. So that's all I want to say about it, because it's not a game worth talking about. Especially when we're going to do a backtrack about it in a few months. Or I'm going well, to have to really complain about it. <laughs> we won't torture you any more then. We'll move on to the dawn of a new world. Tales of Symphonia Doohickey, Dawn of the New World. Symphonia! Thank you. I have to be Adrian for a moment. <laughs> this is Symphonia. <laughs> <laughs> this is developed by Namco Tail Studio, published by Namco Bandai. Released in the U.S. of A. on November 11, 2008. This is a console role-playing game experience. Aren't they all console role- Anyways, single-player experience for your Wii. Rated T for teen. 
Anybody play should... this, Jim? <laughs> we probably should. I've go seen other people chair. play it. <laughs> well, then that makes you an expert. Go ahead, Mr. Calendar. <laughs> um, all I can really say is, with regards to Dawn of the New World, from what I've seen of it, is um, if you really, 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 really liked Symphonia, then there may be something in Dawn of the New World for you. But then again, you may just find the new characters that they introduced painfully annoying. So, so if your name is Adrian Denauden, you'll find a lot to like. Um, well, I say you you may find a lot to like, but you may also find a lot to not like if you see where I'm coming from. <laughs> it's all Marta's fault, isn't it? Yeah, I knew it. Pretty much, I knew it. Poorly written woman, automatically the problem with the game. Hmm. See, Boy. I haven't had to bitch about women in a while, so I just had to throw it out there. I should yeah. mention that we will be having Adrian Denauden on the show to talk about this particular game in the not-too-distant future, so we don't necessarily need to say everything there is to say about it right now. Indeed. Let us put it on the back track for now. <laughs> Kill me with my jokes. <laughs> so, I'll you for your jokes. Well, we're putting Dawn of the New World back on the shelf. We're going to take a little bit of a break and grab the next airplane to Japan so we can discuss our next round of games on our main attraction. We'll be right back. Super Robot Dyson games, the ones that came out in America anyways. That's what we're talking about for our main attraction this evening. So let me set up the stage, and then I will hand the microphone over to my good friend and partner, Mr. Minky. It looks like the first game we are uh, talking about tonight is Super Robot Dyson Original Generation, developed by Atlas Banpresto and published by Atlas on the Game Boy Advance, released here in North America on August 8, 2006. This is a tactical RPG single-player experience, and it is rated T for Teen. Mr. Miki, take it away. I should also mention that it was released in Japan in 2002, so if you go into it expecting top-tier GBA visuals... You won't get them. Yeah, because 2006 now, I, is pretty late in the Game Boy's life, for crying out loud. <laughs> now then, I could talk about everything, and I may have to, but I think I'll do a roundtable sort of thing. So, who wants to talk about how skill points work? Skill points! 
Why, Nathan, Scott. I believe you've just volunteered. Yeah, I have. Um, the skill point system. You mean the whole battle victory th- condition thing? Uh, just battle masteries. Know. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Basically, um, personally, I think it's the, one of the best kind of variable difficulty things they've ever done, I've ever seen, is that every single map of the game has its own little bonus optional challenge called the, just the skill mastery points, various other names used across other parts of the series, but yeah. these points battle are, masters. yeah, battle mastery. Let's go with battle mastery. Basically, for example, like, for example, there's a map which is defeat all enemies in ten turns. The battle mastery condition will be defeat all enemies in six turns. If you get the battle mastery condition, you're rewarded with a higher difficulty in the next map. And just the higher difficulty for the rest of the game. I mean, there's no particular bonuses for them other than the fact that if you get a lot of them, it... If you get a lot of them, you can unlock special cool secret things later in the game. And I think you need to get a very large number of them in order to actually see the final mission of the game and the kind of the real ending. Why it looks Uh, like John has a point. Uh, I believe, um, I can't remember if they implemented it in the original generations, but typically earning the battle mastery in a given map would also grant a, uh, basically it would give you some kind of bonus reward in uh, the form of um, skill points for your pilot, for, a- for all of your they deployed pilots on the, on the map. They not yeah, do that one for the GTA games. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll go into that when we talk about the import corner because it was very nice of them to give you an additional reward. Yes. yes yeah. Yes. OG one two one in the original generation one and two. I think one of the main effects of getting lots of skill points is you get less experience and less money across the course of the game. Well, I will say that the first time I played OG one, I got maybe thirty battle masteries total, which was not enough to see Septuagint and. I felt very sad once I learned that Septuagint was out there, so I had to play it again and see it. Yeah, same happened to me, actually. Of course, Judeca is not exactly easy if it's your first time through a Super Robot Tyson game. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> or if you're playing the Kyosuke route where you don't get uh, the brokenness that is the SRX. Oh, well, you get it for one battle that and it's then taken away from you forever. One battle where you can't use half the moves on it unless you really power level Ryu, say, to get his psychic up to level 8. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I can't help but feel like the last three minutes have probably shot over the heads of about 80% of our listeners at this point. You know what? Good on us, But we make <laughs> Now, how about how you give characters skills uh, in the intermission menu. Such as the skills you can get and how worthwhile they are. Or do I have to talk about that one? I'll take I it think again. you've got that, Mike. Oh, it looks like Scott can. Okay, so as um, your characters earn kills, and it has to be kills, not just XP. If you have one guy running around just using the repair kit on everyone, he'll earn XP, but he won't earn points. Uh, after you get a kills, you earn a certain amount of skill points, and you can buy. You can either spend those on your character's base attributes. I think there are like eight of them. Like your maneuverability, your defense, your offense, your melee, your ranged. Or you can buy certain sort of perks, like 
uh, ammo conservation where suddenly all your sort of physical ammo-based guns have half as much ammunition or um, well, yes, what was, Nathan just was a really good one. SP Regenerate. Yeah, SP Regenerate was the really broken one where you just sat down with your characters, had them try score as many kills as possible, and sat on your points until you put together, what was it, 80, 90? I think it was 100. Regen. Yeah, it was 100, probably 100 for SB Regen. And, and it's then worth you, every one of them. Oh, yeah, and then you just sort of waltzed through sections of the game. Yeah, I, would, I also got Attacker for just about everyone, because that's really handy. Oh, I guess Attacker's we talk about Attacker. We Counter is good. Will. Yeah, Will. Who wants to take the concept of Will? I'll take Will. Go for it. Okay, Will is actually a really great game mechanic when you're sort of thinking about adapting uh, super robot anime. Because the one thing you always sort of wonder is, why don't they just do the Blazing Sword first? That seems to solve all the problems for these kids. And Will is... and. A lot of the really awesome moves, particularly for your super robots, require you to have a certain amount of will, which you can only earn when a pilot meets certain conditions. And every pilot's a bit different. Sometimes it's they have to dodge attacks, or take damage, or watch their friends take damage, or kill dudes. Well, killing and dudes over- works for everybody. Yeah, everyone gets it for killing dudes. So there's yeah, a lot... And so there's a lot of cases where you'll just sort of... Be tr- doing your damnedest to get a certain mech to 130 will, just so you can use the one move that'll save your butt. Yeah, this is. These are a series where you really need the grunts. If you didn't have grunts, you'd be completely screwed in many fights, and that's why the few fights without any grunts are really challenging. Oh, okay. Looks like John needs to talk about how SP works. Go for it. Okay, well, the, S- the SP commands are kind of a, a unique set of, of, of six um, abilities that, are, that each pilot learns as they level up that are, that are cast similar to spells from, from an SP pool. When we mentioned SP regenerate, it allows a pilot to, to regenerate some of these points every turn. Um, these um, abilities last um, sort of... Uh, yeah, sorry. These abilities sort of go from quite cheap abilities... Um, such as the ability to raise your uh, accuracy and evasion by 30% for a turn, um, through sort of slightly more expensive ones like uh, deal double damage with your next attack, up right into the really horrifically broken ones like take an additional turn. Um, it, it taking out the um, <laughs> taking out the inevitable boss characters is a case of managing these abilities carefully so that um, you know you can deal a lot of damage to an enemy to a to a boss character and not have to withstand quite so much pain in response. Alright, it looks like Nathan is going to tell us how real and super robots differ, so take it away. Okay. Um, one of the important things the whole super robot series is the distinction between real robots and super robots. I mean, basically, especially with OG games, real robots are kind of small, fast robots that are kind of more military-focused, which especially kind of, you can use them different, you can de-equip them and equip different weapons on them. And for example, like the real robot Altizen, 
it has its own integrated weapons. We can also equip more, but it like, has very few ranged weapons. So you can equip it, give it more powerful ranged weapons. Um, the of these are the super robots. These are the kind of big super heroic mechs that are often much larger, much less evasive, but hit really hard. Unlike the real robots, though, they can't actually equip different kinds of weapons. And so there's kind of a balance between the two that actually adds a bit to the game, though. Um, sometimes there's some robots you really wish for one or the other, but oh well. Yeah, I guess we should talk about how weapons work and how you can switch them around with some robots and how you can power any of them up to your greatest heart's desire. Okay. Take that. I'll do it. Go. Alright, so, like, like Nate said, we have, um, a super robots which do have a fixed array of weapons and, uh, you can upgrade those by spending your mon- your hard-earned dollars uh, to make them awesomer, deal more damage. And then there's equipable weapons, usually a lot of machine guns, beam, ri- beam rifles, beam sabers. Slash rippers. Uh, slash rippers, uh, VSVRs, and incoms, and bits, and all those fun things. And everything and has a Gatlin gun, which usually you have to power up to the max to make it do anything. Oh yeah, Vulcan Vulcans do nothing, ever. But... You can sort of swap those around, and each one has sort of has a point value of how much space it takes up on a mech, and each mech has a certain amount of space. So, say a standard machine gun takes up five units, and every and one particular robot has fifty. You could slap ten machine guns on it for no particular reason. And again, you can also upgrade these weapons with your money. But the only re- one really worth upgrading is the M95 machine gun, which becomes this unstoppable. Death machine. Once you put a few million bucks into it. Yeah, let's just for the sake of uh, wowing people. If you wanted to fully upgrade everything in the game, how much money would you need, and how many runs through would you need? Quite a I lot. I do believe it. I do believe it is in. I. It might be in hundreds of twil- trillions, but it, I think it could tip <laughs> to us uh, into the quadrillion range. With about, what, 30 playthroughs for that much money? Yeah, that's probably about right. Oh, and while we're talking about upgrades, how do you upgrade the robots themselves? And how, and what can you do with it? Oh, also again, you spend your hard-earned money to uh, either boost your, what is it, armor, hit points, maneuverability, and something Energy. Else. Energy, yeah. Energy is cheap, which is helpful on a couple of robots that use a lot of energy-based weapons. Yeah, especially the super robots tend to have almost nothing but energy attacks. Or melee that take no, that cost no resources. Yeah. And we should probably mention the difference between energy weapons and ammunition-powered weapons. Lasers use energy, which is a resource that's stored in your mech, um... Your standard sort of physical ammo-based weapons, shotguns, machine guns, that sort of thing, uh, use their own internal magazines, which you're out, you're out. And for some reason, many sword attacks use lots of energy. I guess that's just how hot blood they are. Well, in the case of energy weapons, you could say it's drawing off the reactor. But I still don't know how sometimes a big-ass sword draws off energy. (laughs) 
Uh, there are some um, cases where some more powerful weapons run off, uh, even if they don't appear to be intrinsic- intrinsically sort of um, cartridge-based, do run off an ammo supply to prevent you from, you know, abusing the hell out of them. I was going to a good example of that one. Alright, next topic is support attacks and support defense if anybody actually tries to use that. How vital are support attacks to your strategy? Incredibly. Uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so, who wants to explain that one? I'll take it. Um, it. Okay. Support attacks are basically every... is In OG1 in particular, everyone has a, something called the support count. Um, basically, whenever you attack in your... Like, if you have a unit that's standing next to a unit with support open, you can have this unit do a support attack, so that when you have that main unit attack, the other unit will also attack and somewhat reduce power. Um, this basically lets you up to double number of attacks you're doing in a turn, so it really adds to your amount of destructive capability. At the same time, there's also this thing called support defense, so that if you're attacked and you're, that unit that's been attacked is standing next to a unit that has support, then the, you can have the unit come in as support defense and come in and, like, in a defensive posture and block that attack for you, taking the damage instead of the unit, which can really help protect your fragile units. So you can have, like, a giant armored thing like the Geek and Scudo come in and protect a fragile mech like the uh, uh, Vice Raider. Yeah, that about I've, covers it, I think. Uh, the relationship system, or is that only in OG2? It might have been in OG1, but I never made much use of it there. Well, we talk about they, it. Didn't, they don't really tell you about the relationship system at all, right. anyhow. You have to sort of find out about it. Even though it's broken as hell in OG2. Yeah, <laughs> lots of things are broken in OG2. <laughs> well, but... We'll get into them individually later, but as a general rule, how do you approach bosses in Super Robot Tyson? Uh, more DACA. <laughs> more DACA. Um, really depends if they regenerate or not, I guess. Well, yeah, yeah that's... If they're regen or have serious barriers, you sort of steal their energy, and then more DACA. Otherwise, it's just pile on the DACA. Yeah, basically. Yeah, hot, hot blood... Uh, awaken. Um, Get everybody in position with support attacks. Yep. A giant sphere of death around the enemy boss. <laughs> yeah, and then you pile it on and hope you were good enough to make it go down, or else it'll regenerate some life next round, most likely. Yeah. Not to mention, it'll probably open fire at you, and if you're really unlucky, they'll open fire at you with a map weapon. Or yeah, John, talk about, talk about map weapons. They're not too common, but they deserve mention. Yeah, there are, there are a few, there are a few rare units that use, uh, some, uh, map weapons, which, uh, um, pretty much every other attack in the game is basically, uh, one unit shoots another unit. Map weapons are, um, designed to hit multiple mm-hmm. units on the field. Um, they usually have, uh, specific sort of attack pattern. Some of them have, um, I don't think, I'm not sure if the OG series has any cone-shaped ones, but I know they're sort of, uh, you know, sort of, uh, diamond-shaped map attacks. There's that one cone enemies. in OG2. Who does it belong to? Out of curiosity? I think it's, I think it's like the... AM Gunner, weird, Yeah, the AM Gunner has a cone. Ah. 
the and the SRX's telekinesis missile, which is a uh, a, a a diamond that has range that doesn't hit any friendly units in the area, but hits all enemies that it falls over. Yeah, well, the Gagan Scudo's uh, map weapon, though, I don't remember the name of it right now, but that one will hit allies. Yeah, G-Circle Blaster is the only one you, I think in OG-1 that actually will hurt your allies, which kind of sucks. <laughs> it's, they're, not, uh, they're not particularly useful for, um, for fighting bosses, but they are very useful for clearing uh, grunts out of the way. Yeah, especially if you stick a Valor on your map weapon and then somehow get strike on that person too, so that accuracy is 100%, you'll do a lot of damage. That, that's what Cybuster's for. Yep. Cybuster's for a lot of things. Well, okay, yeah. yes. Patrick Buster you shouldn't really discount. <laughs> we'll, we should get onto that. Yeah. Yeah, let's see here. Well, I guess we should mention the plot of OG-1. Oh, uh, the The Aerogator invasion. Well, you can't so, forget the DC first. Mm, that's true. Although the Aerogator show up, and then the DC is formed by B and Zoldark, and... Wait, I'm doing this. Somebody else do it. <laughs> Lazy kid. <laughs> okay, so every plot, every robot show plot cliche happens at the exact same time. <laughs> it, it is in, it is several centuries into a new calendar that started arbitrarily because it's a mech show and you need a new calendar. <laughs> and um, a bunch of aliens show up, do some bad stuff to Antarctica, at which point a militaristic faction of the Earth Federation starts up to oppose this alien invasion by conquering everything on Earth first... And then the Earth Federation realizes, along with some people at the Colonies Corporation, decide that that's a bad thing. So they overthrow the Divine Crusaders, at which point the Aerogators realize, oh, they, oh, these stupid little humans have done half the work for us. Let's move in and invade everything. And then this same plucky group of about two ships and 40 guys goes on to destroy absolutely everything the Aerogators can throw at them. Like any good mech show. <laughs> Sounds like a winner. Yeah, well, let's see here. Oh, go ahead, Nathan. I just we should suppose we should mention that the first game has the different the Ryusei route versus the Kyosuke route. So the one the first route, the Ryusei route, is fighting the DC universe on Earth, the DC, the Divine Crusaders on Earth. While the Kyosuke route spends most of its first half fighting the Divine Crusaders, while the the UCC guys, I don't know what the acronym, in space, and that's about it. Let's see, what have we missed here? No, that pretty much covers it, although... I guess there's the aggressor subplot. <laughs> yeah, you eventually get all four of these guys on your team, although most of them fight you for a while first, forming some nice battle masters trying to shoot down Sanger. Um, now, we'll get, we'll get into the characters in a little bit. Um, okay. I, oh, I, I should mention... Think... I was going to say, I think the only thing that we missed in that little summary was uh, the, um, the, the the kind of catalyst that sets the entire plot off to start with is a, is a meteor that falls into the Pacific Ocean called Meteor 3, um, which kind of jump-starts most of the plot threads thinking about it. If you, know, you fast-forward to OG-1's conclusion, 
you know, when when yeah. Meteor Three ri- rises out of the water and turns into the final boss. <laughs> you know, major oh, spoiler. The, oh, the Septuagint, the big crystal thing that looks like a mountain in the air, whatever. It yeah, was. but they but all of the technology that that the that, that um that's you know being warred over in the first game was derived from that meteor. Yeah. So. Oh, a couple more b- gameplay aspects. We mentioned super and real robots, but the battleships don't really fall into either category. So talk about the battleships. Uh, the battleships, okay. uh, if you if you lose, well, it, typically you usually only have one. But if you've got both of them, losing either one mean pretty much means instant game over. They do have a, a nice supply of health, uh, quite a bit of armor, um, and they have some powerful attacks. But uh, they, they they have can. pretty they yeah can't they have. Play. Terrible battleships can't dodge. Yeah, uh, actually, there is one battleship that can. With well, a specific well, we, we'll pilot. mention that one in a little bit. Yeah. Um. Oh yes, we should mention what happens if you lose because it's not necessarily the end of the world. Yeah. No. But it'll feel like it. Right. You're going to follow battle masters. Right, you're, you're going to be, especially in OG2, they won't let you get a battle mastery if you've got a game over on the stage. But they will let you restart with no penalty except... No, actually, there's no penalty. You get to keep all the money you gained in that stage, even. Yeah, um, the number of turns counts on your sort of total at the end, which can affect some stuff. But if you're just playing for the experience of playing the game, I guess it doesn't matter to you. Okay, let's see. Does that cover the major gameplay? Oh, we should talk about how your major options whenever you're attacked. Attack, evade, or defend. Because not every game has that. True. Hey, I'll take oh. it. Go for it. Okay, so basically whenever you're attacked, you get it on the enemy's turn, you get to three options. Either attack, which you basically you launch your own counterattack at full power, Evade, where you double your the chance of the attack to miss you, or defend, where you like half the damage you take, or something like that. Without sure impacting get... your normal evasion rate. Yeah, without impacting normal evasion rate. So basically, if you if you got a mech which is nice and tough, you can always counterattack and hit the enemy hard and punch them for hurting you. If you're in a fragile state, you can like more focus on defense. So and so it's like if you're in a very evasive mech, you can focus on evasion and basically not be hit. If you're in a very defensive mech, you can basically take no damage. So it lets you really flex, have a more flexible strategy. And let's see here. Oh, yes. And if you do lose anybody in battle, and the mission requirements do not say, keep this person up, then all you have to do is pay for the repair cost of that unit at the end of the battle, which is... Thank God, it's not fun. Not that much. Yes, this is not Fire Emblem. If you lose somebody in battle, the person is not dead. Yep, the only time oh, for that matter, if you the... kill an antagonist with a name, they're probably not dead either. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, nobody dies in the antagonist is a battle mastery. You can only take people down for good once it's no longer a battle mastery. It's not a giant robot. Well, speaking of that, I guess we should start mentioning the antagonists of OG1. 
And there are two primary ones. The one that freaked me out the first time I ever saw it because it was the first enemy in the game I ever saw with question marks for hit points. Yeah. The Argon Rivale with Ingram Pliskin. And that is a spoiler, people, because this is what RPG is all about. Ingram's a bad guy. He seems so nice and pleasant, forcing you to do horrible things and pushing you way beyond your limits in the Ryusei route. Nice, pleasant. The guy, seriously, he is such a blatant villain, even when he's on your side. He's like Gendo Ikari, more the shonen form. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. He is like that. And then he basically waltzes off with, uh, you know, some of your rather decent equipment and then turns it into this, you know, hideous monstrosity with an absolutely massive, uh, HP reservoir and a couple right, of really nasty attacks. Before this, you've never seen anything with more than about 35,000 hit points that you needed to take down. And his yeah. has 160,000 hit points. And a really powerful barrier on top of that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And yeah, I forgot quite, to mention the if barriers. I remember quite the, if I remember quite the range on his most powerful attack as well. Uh, 11, wasn't it? Something like that. Something yeah, like that. 11. Farther than you can shoot. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he oh, can yeah, shoot first than you. That many bosses and nasty enemies have. Who wants to take barriers? Sometimes uh, mechs have barriers. Uh, it's dependent on how much... Uh, usually, they'll negate about 90% of uh, the hit. But it also takes a big chunk out of their energy. And you can get units of your own with barriers, but for some reason, your barriers aren't as good. <laughs> Maybe it's because your units have, at most, 8,000 hit points, and the bosses have 20 times that. Yeah. That, that could have something to do with it. It might. It might. And then, if you do not do well enough to see the true final boss, you will fight Levi Tolar as your final boss in the Judeca. Mm-hmm. So who remembers yeah, being freaked out by her? I remember going, yeah. It's got a million hit points! <laughs> Oh, and she's surrounded, at least in Kyosuke's route, by, uh... What were they? The like name of those the last things. The, the big tool. boss from two levels ago. Like, two levels ago, these things were giving you a hard time. And, and now there's 12 of them. army of them. Yep. I counted. There were 20 of them. Yeah. And the battle uh, master never... is to get through that battle in ten turns. I don't try didn't that have... one. <laughs> I didn't have that much trouble with the Judeco, though I do remember, uh, I think it was, um, I think I failed a dodge chance on Kyosuke, and he went down to something like 21 HP after um, uh, taking her final attack, almost completely undefended. Um, I I am honestly quite surprised he didn't just blow up on the spot, but then again, Kyosuke has always had the devil's luck, and that just really proved it, really. Well, that's a nice segue to the characters. You've talked about Kyosuke a bit. Anything else we need to talk about except that he loves gambling with cards? And that he's way more badass than the other protagonist? Well, that's true. Uh, he's also, Kyosuke. for the record, of, milit- of uh, valid age to serve in the military. 
he's he is not the accidental teen pilot that Ryusei is. Uh, Kyosuke also has the, uh, as a reference, Kyosuke also has the devil's luck. He has managed to survive a couple of quite, uh, uh, he's managed to survive a number of near-death experiences. Um, one of which at least happens in his backstory, and another one you do get to partake in as one of his early stages. His first stage, actually. Yeah, when, when the, uh, when the unit he's piloting attempts to go through a transformation, uh, sequence and explodes and he survives yeah almost completely unharmed let's see then there's Exilin his uh well she proclaims himself pretty much to be his girlfriend and he doesn't really object so they're the, they're a couple even though Exilin spends a vast majority of her time flirting with mm, sort of the other Everyone. pilots at the very least making, making them rather pop- uncomfortable I love Excellent for being the voice of pop culture references. <laughs> yep. Like, uh, if you stick her in other units, she'll make weird anime references. Like, um, if you give her a colossal bra- blade, she'll uh, lament having to cut unworthy objects. Stick her in the Gigantsk, though, and she'll um, do the electric punch thing, and it's like, 1.21 gigawatts! Great Scott! <laughs> I usually kept her in Vice Raider just because it's oh, a good Vice is awesome. Yeah. yeah, and she's the only one who can pilot it, and it's really ridiculously good, especially in OG1, when you have nothing else as far as real robots go. Yeah, and especially if you're on Kiyosuke's route, it has the only combination attack, really, with Rampage Ghost, which is all kinds of awesome in OG1. Yeah. Yep. Okay, then there's the re- then there's the third member of the ATX team. That would be Bullet. Brooklyn Lovefield. Brooklyn Lovefield. In a Gundam knockoff. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes, the uh, the Huckleby- the Huckabine, and it's uh, it's 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 Gundamness. It, with I, I do not get how um, Ban Presto managed to get away with that one. Uh, the problem is there. that Hajime Katoki does have partial control over. His mech designs for Gundam, and he did a lot of them. Yeah, fair enough. But yes, the the Hucklebine does look a suspiciously suspiciously Gundam like, <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, Bullet does end up in one for quite a while, at least until uh, OG two runs OG2, around. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, we can get something Yeah, he gets something a little bit uh, better. <laughs> Let's see here. Then we go to the SRX team before I go for the other characters. So let's go with Ryusei Date. Ah, uh, the ultimate ascended fanboy. Yep. <laughs> gets his gets his place on the team after. Uh, actually, no. He he fails to win a uh, a tournament, a, a mech tournament, mech fighting tournament. Um, his his rival uh, character. Which I think, who I think beats him in the final, is ultimately scouted by the bad guys and ends up becoming Tenzin, his. Tenzin, wasn't it? Yeah, Tenzin. Yes, Tenzin comes comes his battlefield rival. Um, so, but yes, yeah, so um, Ryusei spends. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say Ryusei spends far more time um, just kind of drooling over Mecha than any of the females on the team. Any of them. Yeah, then we get what fifty millimeters or double D's. It's a very tough call some days. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Ryusei has um, questionable 
choice of uh, love interest, but we'll we'll get to that in OG two most likely. Well, in so OG one, the- big Kusaha romance plot, which is kind of painful <laughs> at times. <laughs> okay, you brought up Kusaha. She of the horrible, horrible energy drink that knocks everyone out. <laughs> oh, that energy drink. She's the quintessential um, childhood friend character. She's Fa Yuri, really. Except Fa was actually good as a medic. <laughs> no, yeah, except Fa was terrible as a pilot, whereas this was actually good. Hey, Pa might have been half decent if they ever gave her anything but uh, the hunk of junk that was the Methus. Uh, she lived. That says something. She did survive Zeta Gundam. That, that, yeah, is, that is a feat. But even so, because um, her, her was uh, Yusei's childhood friend, uh, and she eventually um, she eventually joins the military as a, as a nurse until Ingram notes her potential for other things. Well, let's see. Uh, Another fact, SRX team member, Reidis Brandstein. Reidis Thanks, F. In German. Yes, F. Reidis F. Brandstein. He's still angsty and still German. <laughs> He's a and pretty good guy. Yeah, he has a fake arm. And, um... Mostly overshadowed in these games by his brother. We'll get yeah. to the brother. The brother deserves much conversation. But since Rai is the brother of a certain person, it, some of it seems to have rubbed off and made him a pretty damn good pilot. Yep. Well, considering who he's rubbing shoulders with in the in the SRX, yeah, he's a pretty good pilot. Uh, yeah. Because then now we have to talk about Aya Kobayashi. She's not bad, but she's no Rai. Part, well, part of the problem is that you she disappears for ten missions and comes back at the same level she left. So yeah. she really, you, you really have to focus on getting her to play catch-up. Yeah, there was that. John, Aya thoughts? Aya? Um... Uh, extremely useful for her, um, I, I actually quite like the R3 powered her unit. Very useful. One of the only units that actually has anything resembling funnels, actually, I think. <laughs> the fin funnels are less. Yes. Even though her versions don't shoot, they just crash into things. Well, strike shield is a good move. I like that move. Okay, now we get to talk about Masaki of the Cybuster. Saki Ando, yes. The guy who flew around the Earth four times to find Japan because he got lost. <laughs> Masaki has no sense of direction whatsoever. But that won't stop uh, him from hunting a certain man. Yes, we will talk yeah. about that certain man. Eventually. That plot just made no sense to me when I first played the game, and since it still doesn't, since I still haven't played Lord of the Elemental, they don't explain a damn thing about it in the games. Yeah, Masaki kind of has this thing where he just kind of, you know, shows up in this, you know, this unit that kind of defies all reasonable laws of physics with two talking cats. <laughs> yeah, you so know, cats... I, I, think, I think it's the talking cats that gets everyone, particularly the female members of the team. 
Yes, and the cats go out in the high familiar attack, which you'll be using quite a bit, especially if you've transformed the Cybuster to make its dodge go through the roof. Yeah, Cybuster's dodgy without the transformation thing. It's just that um, Masaki, I think, does eventually get the uh, the lock-on command, but in in reference to his terrible sense of direction, it it costs. It's dramatically overcosted. Yeah, and it will stay that way until OG Gaiden, but that's another story. Yeah. I say he, I think, uh, there was that time also, I think, where he managed to successfully get lost en route to the, uh, the, the mecha bay in the ship, despite being given the guided tour. The only time in which his sense of direction was fixed was after he, he drank Kuzha's health drink, passed out for ten minutes, woke up, and got, gained a sense of direction for about ten minutes. That, that was it. Other than that, he's completely hopeless. <laughs> in fact, people suspect that Masaki's failure to appear in uh, Alpha 3 may have been due to the fact that he got lost somewhere. With him, that wouldn't be a surprise. Nope. That, that might be the reason why he's not in any of the games he missed out on. <laughs> yeah, just, just, just busy getting lost. Let's see so here. Taking that left at Albuquerque. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about someone who has a fixation on Masaki. Uh, Lune, Ryune, however you want to say her name, the daughter of Bian Zoldark, with her very you own know, Valcyon, think... which we haven't talked about. The, we haven't talked about the Valcyon. Yeah, the Valcyon is kind of a product where you, you, you turn to your mad scientist father and say, Daddy, my mech isn't pretty enough. I mean, seriously, we'll need to like post an image of that thing onto the, the discussion thread for this podcast, because that thing's just weird. <laughs> It's one of the, well, those Moe Girl resin kits scaled up to robot proportions and given <laughs> a doom cannon. <laughs> <laughs> Which she likes to uh, use by default. No, I want to save my cross smashers for the end, thank you very much. But no, you want to throw that out at the beginning. Uh, she's also the owner of one of the few map weapons as well, alongside the Cybuster. Although... Since I mentioned the Valcio, and we should mention her dad's version of it, which was quite challenging for that point in the game. Yeah, the first real boss of the game. Well, on the Ryusei route. On the Ryusei side, yeah. Yeah, yeah babe, you, you do, do it, the, uh... You do, it the right, yeah. do that fight the right way, and you get the Valcyon custom, which is customized into being lamer. <laughs> yeah, yeah cross-smasher takes... Suddenly you can get four or five shots of cross-smasher, and the thing has... Nothing else ranged. Yeah, no ultimate weapon, no barrier. Such a waste. A tenth of the hit points. <laughs> well, they were hardly going to give you a, a, a you know a boss unit with its with its boss HP. There are very 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 few games that do do that. <laughs> Even amongst the import ones. <laughs> Just saying, it'd be nice if I went through the effort to get the uh, bonus mech if uh, the bonus mech was worth that effort. Well, considering this competition OG1, it's worth the effort. Better than the Lion F. Oh, the <laughs> Lion F. Ah, the Lion F. That means we should talk about Ryoto, shouldn't we? Uh, I'm going to stab someone at Atlas for Ryoto and Rio. Just... <laughs> Especially how they shorten Ryoto to Ryo most of the time. <laughs> Okay, I think we've touched a nerve with uh, 
Ryoto and Ryo. Let's try Leona Garstein, who is quite good. Yeah, Leona's awesome. Gets from being the cousin of, well, the bronze, Barsta, well, Rod. Right. She, she's related to a certain family. John, talk about Leona. Leona? Um, if there was one thing I would always say about Leona is stick her in the right unit, give her a stun shock, and then that makes the final couple of levels of OG Gaiden really easy. True. Like, r- really easy. <laughs> Let's see, this is OG1, so we should mention uh, Garnet and Diado. Ah, yes, yeah. the people who take in Latuni. That's the only thing they really do in the plot or game whatsoever, since they're useless. <laughs> well, then Garnet has babies eventually. But yeah. uh, Garnet was a decent support unit. I remember just... I think even to the end of the game, I had her in um, the gun cannon wannabe, just floating around, doing replenishes and repairs, and uh, using her support at SCs. And Gyato had uh, a, ro- a rock and Rasta accent for no reason. Because <laughs> he's the only black character, that's it. Well, I love launching, you know, Rasta. slash rippers at a guy as he shouts, I show you the pride of a self-made man! <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Actually, whereas, um, uh, are Katina and Russell in OG1, or are they not? Yeah, are they not they are. and Russell are in, and they're a great team. Yes, you gotta love Katina, who will beat the crap out of anyone and everyone for no excuse whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, because she's going along dutifully apologizing to them, <laughs> cleaning up the mess. Katina, yeah, Russell really is a doormat. <laughs> He's pretty good for some things in combat, but actually fighting enemies is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Katina is like that. Katina gives us uh, the only sort of red comet joke joke in OG One. It's like, oh look at her, she looks like some sort of red. Don't finish that sentence, we'll get in trouble. No, that that one is that one is definitely from OG Two in relation That's to different character. Okay, and Let's we're gonna have we... to out we're gonna have to out nerd you there. With All with right. Giotto and Garnet, we hinted at Latuni Subota, so it's time for her. Oh, oh boy. She's awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, just, she's a damn good pilot. Yeah, just the thing. In the original games, she's just ridiculously good. Just random little girl who's just one of the best pilots in the game, almost unquestionably. Well, to be brutally honest, that is kind of in relation to her kind of rather sort of tragic, heart-rending backstory. <laughs> I was a teenage super soldier. Pretty much. And this and continues talk, to this yeah, continues to about, be a problem. We'll talk about her more in OG two. Um, let's see here. Oh, Rada, good old Rada. Rada and the yoga. <laughs> yeah, everyone is afraid of Rada because they're afraid that she may ask them to do yoga with her. Yeah, yoga. Awesome. Every woman from India knows how to do yoga and will force people to do it. <laughs> it's not really fair, is it? No. Japan, they're kind of racist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Valetta Vadim. Oh, Valetta. She's another really good pilot. At least I thought so. And Yeah, she was solid. And the CAO of a corporation. 
No, that's rain, not Valletta. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I guess we should mention Ring now in a te- in a clumsy segue to Erm. <laughs> hey, Nathan, sounds like you have a, that segue in mind, so take it away. Okay, Ring is, well, she's the CEO of a company, one of characters from Super Robot Wars 4. Um, she's the CEO of a company, and one of her main plots is basically how She's got this really complex romance where she basically has this long-standing romance with this guy named Irm, who's such a womanizer, she's constantly kicking him out, and I'm not even sure if she's ever taking him back, she's just constantly kicking him away. But Irm's awesome, so it balances yeah, he probably the, gr- the only Grungust, no, you get a couple others late in the game, but... Yeah. Yeah. The Grungust is a really good unit. In OG1. Yeah. In OG1, you need... You needed something to make up for not having messengers anymore. Good old Darkness Slash. That's your best friend when taking down bosses that want to run away. Yeah. And let's see. I think it might be time to start on the aggressors. So we'll go with Kai Kitamura first. Ah, Kai has a mustache. (laughs) Yeah, Kai has has the mustache. Yeah, Kai has an awesome mustache. Best facial hair in the game. Best facial hair in the game. Better than President Brian. <laughs> I mean, what's what's funny is uh, Kai's listed age is 36. What? He looks like 50. Exactly. <laughs> it's that mustache. It adds like 20 years to his age. That must be why in a couple of instances people call him an old man and he gets really ticked at that. Yeah, I understand. He's not old. In fact, isn't, I, I'm pretty sure Zenga's around the same age as him, actually. Probably. Yeah, I think so. But before we can talk about Zenger, we have to talk about Gilliam. Oh, yeah. God. The backstory Gilliam. for that guy is complicated. <laughs> Maybe like, we should save it for OG2, then, since that's where most yeah. of it is. <laughs> Although we can say that he's pretty damn good in OG1 and leave it there for now. Mm-hmm. And now we can talk about he who owns the sword that cleaves evil. Zenger. Zonvolt. Yep. However you want to pronounce that, because Atlas apparently doesn't like Zinger. No, Problem, Atlas likes Zinger. It has Zinger to do with the way it would have been spelled stuff. as a German name and how the Japanese went through it. Like, an S with an, an S-A with an umlaut um, ends up going into Japanese as a Z with an E. <laughs> so, Atlas is trying to do it right, but the all caps of the GBA does not support uh, umlauts. This is true. Yeah. Gratuitous German. It can be a problem. So yeah, Zanger turns on you for a while just to test you or whatnot, and then he finally joins you again near the end to help you out when you finally storm the White Star. And owns, owns like mad. He cleans, he cleaves much evil. Yes, he does. He spends most of his time cleaving. Most of it. (laughs) Yeah, you want a hot-blooded character. He is very. It's the one. It's also the one character that Excellent looks up to. You know, where, whereas Excellent is willing to tease any of the male pilots. Uh, Zenger is. Yes, Zenger is the one person that she actually looks up and actually respects. You know, probably even more so than Kioska. Although apparently Zenger, apparently Zenger can't handle his can't handle his alcohol. He's a badass, <laughs> but he just can't drink. Well. 
we can forgive that, considering what he does in battle. Yeah. And that well, leads to Actually, the I was last... Oh. I was going to say, are we covered the battleship captains, or are we going to cover those in OG2? We'll, co- we'll cover them eventually. Okay. But right now, aggressors. we have to talk about the fourth member of the aggressors, the older brother of Rai, the older cousin of Leona, the man, Elzem Bronstein, he who owns oh. Trombe as his theme. Oh, Elzem. Sounds so overrated sometimes. <laughs> Well, admittedly, Elzum does bail you out handily on a couple of occasions, so... <laughs> you can put that Anyhow, guy he... in pretty much anything, and he'll be good in it. Put him For in the only, only you pay... Watch him owning that. Only if you paint it black. Right. Because otherwise it's not Trombe. Yeah, black yeah. with red trim. has to be black with red trim. And also, when he's an enemy, he pilots a battleship, and eventually you get to pilot a battleship with him under your control. And he can dodge in a battleship. Nobody else does that. And well, he's not, not even at just... the helm. Like, he's so <laughs> awesome, he inspires the helmsman to great feats of dodge. <laughs> well, not to mention, the, the battleship in question is a, is a black battleship with red and gold trim with a massive drill on the front. <laughs> it, it, now, there's just... a drill that could pierce the heavens. Exactly. Which he does. He, it is it, the best attack of that battleship is to use the friggin' drill. You just go to ramming speed. I mean, it's a drill that's basically designed to pierce through the game's Death Star analog. So, I mean, it's... yeah, we don't need right. like you, we don't need two foot wide thermal vents. We just need a battleship with a big drill on the front. <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah, about forty kilometers. That, that was those. about Death Star size, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, I think we've covered about everybody except for the battleship pilots, and we'll get to them for OG2. So, having talked all about OG1 so far, um, it is a little bit aged in that it did come out in 2002, so any thoughts on that? Um, yeah. there, there is only, I think there's only one out of the game, out of the Super Robot Wars games released on the GBA. I think the only game that really surpasses OG and OG2 in terms of uh, graphics is the is Super Robot Wars J, the last Super Robot Wars game they released for the GBA, which does um, uh, which does kind of touch up the animations quite a lot, and it is a very well animated game. But I I don't think that kind of detracts from from the fun that is OG and OG2. Oh, no. um, okay. I'm not trying to suggest they, that it's bad in any way. I'm just trying to suggest that since it is an early GBA game, it might not wow people technically. Yeah, no. the graphics of OG1 are actually just pretty bad, all told. OG2 really improves on that. Mm. Although the music game could have been stick figures, and I'd still have been wowed. <laughs> <laughs> just by just by the gameplay and the music. Yeah, it, we'll do the stick figures later on because it deserves its own mention okay I think we're done with OG1 let's move on to Super Robot Tyson Original Generation 2 which came out in North America in 2006 just a few months after OG1 and came out in Japan in 2004 so the graphics have in fact taken a bit of a step up Super Robot Tyson to Original Generation developer Atlas Company published by Atlas 
Platform is on your Game Boy Advance. It's a tactical role-playing single-player experience. Rated T for teens. Oh, that's pretty much all excellent, I think. <laughs> well, let's see here. We should talk about how this is, in fact, more challenging than OG1, correct? Oh, miles, oh, yeah. leaps and bounds. <laughs> I guess so. I found it... I tend to do a lot better, and I guess it's because I already played OG1 and learned the game, but yeah, I'll say it's probably a little challenging, especially trying to get all of the battle masters you need to get in order to see the final the chapter. Yeah, we'll get to that. I just kind of realized we actually forgot to mention someone. Tezuka. Or were we not mentioning antagonists in the OG1 section? Uh, let's see. Who the major forget? ones. We forgot we the purple-haired guy. Well, we can talk about him when we talk about OG Gaiden, but fine. Since you have a particular interest in mentioning the purple-headed guy, John, tell us all about Shu Shirakawa. Oh, Shu Shirakawa. The, the magnificent bastard to end magnificent bastards. It's actually, Shu Shirakawa very rarely actually shows up in both OG and, uh, OG1 and 2. However, um, most what his, his forte is really um, the kind of behind-the-scenes machinations that he does uh, a lot of. Um, the incident at the, the Antarctic that we mentioned during the plot summary has a lot going on behind it that isn't made abundantly clear at the time and isn't made clear to the, the sort of the main characters until much later. Um, and Shu arguably is, is acting in the best interests of, of humanity. Um, the only person who always seems to see through his, his sort of weasel words, as it were, is, is his eternal rival, Masaki, who doesn't trust Shu in anything he says or does, even when he temporarily joins your side in OG Gaiden. So. Okay, we've covered Shu in a little bit. I seem to recall he was a battle mastery uh, when you fight Bian in the Valcyon on uh, Rusei's route, taking him down yes. first with battle mastery. Yes, yes. yes. Although he does have a rather formidable machine, which does make that one tricky. Yes, yeah, grandson's almost as powerful as the Valcyon itself. So, his, his, yeah, you're, his his gravity that's definitely not one of the easier battle masteries. Yeah. Okay, OG2. Let's talk about the difficulty. Scott, Painful. you seem to have much to say. Um, it is... Honestly, it, it's not that bad, but it seems like every fifth mission or so is just designed to blow you up and frustrate you a dozen times before you finally get it. They like to. They really like to throw the don't let this guy die objective at you and then have you know, five or six grunts team up on him in one turn so that he dies. <laughs> yeah, particularly in my first playthrough, I remember that being an issue. I had to restart a lot. Oh, and that mission where Ryoto is piloting the, oh, the transport that you can't control, and oh. if he takes a hit, you lose the battle master, and if he takes two or three hits, you lose. Yeah, there, there's a lot of keep this guy alive, and oh, you don't have control of him missions, too. What's up, John? Uh, I was going to say, uh, I think um, OG2 also stepped up the uh, the number of... Um, I don't know if um, using the word, like, scripted missions would be a right usage of the term, but 
um, in kind of introducing um, like new characters to the to the setting um, instead of just having like straight up um, you know deploy your unit slugfests they kind of mixed up your they you know they'd switch focus over to a couple of new characters and um, sort of change you know your your forces would deploy in different ways um i think the, the the example i was thinking of was how you're introduced to a couple of the new characters the uh, the two characters working for project td in the opening sections of og2 um where you know you actually kind of focus on them for a, for a few turns until your forces make an appearance around turn five or so oh yeah there's uh, a lot of missions and- where you'll do two with one group and switch to another and yeah, or, miss- or missions where, you know, a group had, had actually kind of rushed ahead and, you know, you you had to fight off enemies for three turns or something and then you would get your main forces arrive. And then there's that really that really difficult mission where, um, uh, you know, you, you switch perspective entirely from, from Earth up to space, uh, at which point, like, four really powerful bosses attack you and the, the mission objective yes. is simply to run the... F- away. Yes, we should mention that you will see a lot more bosses, and you will see them very early prompting you to run away or die. Yeah, yes. early on was just hell at times. Oh, and the objectives won't you give you a clue that all you have to do is just avoid them for four turns? Your objective will read, kill the guy with several hundred thousand hit points. And a barrier. Go ahead, kill him. And your actual, and then you go, like, after six tries, you'll fack it. And then you find out, oh, I can just have the character he's trying to kill run away for four turns, and then the mission's over anyhow. I actually, you can actually beat him by taking him down to like 80% hit points, which I had to do my first time because I didn't know about it. I only learned about that much later. I'm like, oh god, that would save me so much trouble. I should mention that uh, you're fighting on the White Star, you have four people total, one of whom is a battleship, most of whom you've never had before, so you had no chance to upgrade them at all. And you get faced with three bosses, all of them having over 100,000 hit points. And if you feel like resetting many, many times, which I did, you can shoot them down because they don't have hit point regen. And you get some good stuff. Is that worth the hours you're going to spend resetting every time they get lucky and kill you? Probably not, but it's there. Save it for the second playthrough. <laughs> yeah, don't even think about it on the first playthrough. Let's see here. Oh, the, this one has a different system than OG1, where you either pick Ryusei or Kyosuke. Here you get to have several branching paths and then go off on different missions for a while. Yeah. Usually it amounts to choosing Ryusei or Kyosuke, but it won't say. Yeah, and you'll usually end up fighting with somebody else for a while anyway, somebody who ran off far ahead of the herd and needs to be very lucky. <laughs> so, uh, should we talk about uh, where the plot goes now, or should we leave that? Uh, go for it, John. Because, yeah. well, uh, okay. yeah, there are a lot of factions at play. <laughs> yeah, basically, uh, well, in, after the events of, um, the OG2 follows almost directly on from, from OG1. Um, you're your forces are successful in defeating the the aerogators and their fortress. The uh, the the white the white star, the white star, and it has and their, it, it their, has a form name. Yep, and their yeah, oh, the yeah. Nebulum. Yep, 
uh, and their it, it their massive mobile machine, uh, the Judeca, aka White Death Cross, <laughs> and also um, if you get the Battle Mastery's Meteor Three itself, um, Saputigint, the final invader. Um, so yeah, in, in that kind of aftermath, um, there are still many factions in play, up to and including um, the Some new ones. Rem- Yep, no, I was say there's the remnants of the uh, Divine Crusaders. Um, there yes. is the owner of um, Itsurugi Heavy Industries, who appears to be um, attempting to play all of the sides off for uh, monetary gain. Um, there's the mysterious Shadow Mirror faction, who <laughs> arrive under mysterious circumstances. Um, yep. There are the. Yep, there's the. Yeah, the mis- the uh, the full of tentacles, Einst, um, and also the um, sort of equally off-world, off-worldy inspectors, who, are, um, well, all of them appear to have got a bone to pick with someone, and uh, what <laughs> results is an absolutely massive war. So you know, well, it's just another day in Robot Land, really. But yeah, oh yeah. Okay, let's take them one at a time. Let's go with the inspectors first. We start with, uh, well, there are four of them you fight for a while. I'm trying to remember. Let's go with Sigalog first, or Sigalog, whatever. The mute guy. The bald mute. There's not really a lot to say about him, because he doesn't say very much. Well, he's always with Aguia, or Aguija, whatever her pronunciation is. The one who Lune has a... I thought she, she has, has. I thought. I thought she has a rivalry with uh, Masaki because she has the unit that can go fast, uh, as fast, if not faster, than Cybuster. They, they both have a rivalry with her because Lune calls her an old hag, and she takes that very badly. Oh, yeah, she takes that really personally. Yeah. So, but as I say, what the inspectors are is a um, the representatives from from elsewhere in the uh, elsewhere in the um, the sort of wider galactic community who have expressed a little bit of concern in um, the Earth's sort of continued development in in sort of military manners um, and have come to make sure that Earth doesn't pose a future threat to galactic peace by effectively blowing them all up in the name of peace. And justice. And justice, yeah. And they have the creepiest leader ever. Uh, we'll get to him as a segue from his brother, but first we have to talk about Vigaji, the, uh, well, does he have any pupils? I've looked at his eyes. They don't seem to have any pupils. Or am I missing something? Uh, no, he doesn't appear to have any pupils, no. And he appears to be angry all the time. Oh, and he has a rivalry with Sanger, and he's now going by Ratzel Feinschmecker, but he's still the man. And <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to it. We should get back to him. Yeah. Yeah, Vigagi basically has one role and that's to be cut in twain for and smited for being evil. Which he is. Oh, uh, yeah. He, he, oh, yeah. He's also the, uh, on the receiving end of that rather fantastic fourth wall breaking segment <laughs> where Zenga does show up to kick his ass. And gets a new wreck. Yes. The introduction of the Dai Zenga in stage 30. Where, which causes Vigagi to explain, stage 30, what's that? And uh, then there's Mechibos. The guy who for some reason has what looks like a claw scar on his face. 
Ah, yes. Have you been fighting, fighting space bears? That's as good a reason as any. Space bears. And his younger brother, who is their leader and who never opens his eyes, Wendelow. The guy who smiles even when he's completely murderizing you. He's not very nice. No, he's not. I should and mention his... that he has no special boss theme in the GBA version, but he gets one for PS2, and it's pretty darn good. Oh, uh, what's it called? Um... Judge or be judged, isn't it? Something yeah, like that. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. In 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 the, in the combat animations for um, in the in the PS2 version, his final attack just kind of blasts you clean of the battlefield that you're fighting in, which is the remains of the uh, the uh, White Star. He just literally just fires a massive laser beam at you, which just catapults you clean of you know, through the wall, clean outside, where you explode, because there's a lot of explosions. Well, of course. So. And then the wall repairs itself for the next time he uses Mega Flasher, yep. I think it is. Yep. Silliest attack name ever. <laughs> okay, that's the inspectors. I guess we should talk about the shadow mirrors. Oh, dear. Axel Almer. Oh, come on. Do you have nothing to say about Axel? Where do we start with this guy? (laughs) Um. Well, he comes from the alternate world that the Shadow Mirrors come from, in which uh, Exelon died a long time ago and was cloned, sort of, as Lemon... Clone, so much as her corpse was used to create a robotic duplicate. Yeah, yeah. it's not like cloning at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, using someone's corpse to create a new being that is like the old one, only in the fact that it looks mostly like her is absolutely nothing like cloning, but never mind. Axel yes, he has a rivalry with Kyosuke, or as he calls him, Beowulf. Yeah, that that kind of stems from the fact that the uh, the shadow mirror version of Kyosuke is is well, actually, no, we'll get onto this mostly when we talk about Excellence role in OG two. But um, Beowulf, the the shadow mirror, is kind of this kind of semi demonic entity that seems to take quite a lot of pleasure in killing people on the battlefield, and is generally not a very nice guy. Um, and um, Beowulf, I think, is implied to have repeatedly. Um, schooled Axel on several occasions. Um, and although I believe just before the Shadow Mirrors decide to make their little dimensional transit, Axel does decide to man up and take Beowulf head on, which is um, uh, animated gloriously in the, uh, the, the very recent, recently aired anime series covering this game. Which is quite good for all things considered. Oh, yeah. We'll get on to watch it. I'll get to it. Um, let's see, Axel. Oh, yes, you will see him a lot, no matter which paths you choose, because his beef with Kyosuke means he wants Kyosuke's head, and you're going to have to survive. And until late in the game, he's not necessarily easy to survive against. Well, it's probably due in part his rather impressive unit, the Solgain, which is a kind of... Um, uh, it it kind of has trappings of a of a real robot. It it has rocket. Uh, sorry, it's a super robot. It has rocket punches. It has, you know, wrist mounted blades. It jumps around a lot. It slices. It dices. 
It's got a must- and it has simple attacks that are moderately ranged with almost no or absolutely no energy cost, so he can use them forever. Yep. Oh, and he has uh, 30% hit point regen, so if you want to beat him, you better throw it all in. Does he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. It makes no sense, but Solgan can regenerate. Okay. I ain't going to argue with that. He only, he only has 150,000 hit points, but... Oh, and he has Prevail, everyone's favorite skill for uh, a boss. It's at level uh, 9. Prevail. Uh, basically, as as the enemy's HP dips lower, their stats get higher. So, it, yeah, it's agonizing. Evasion rises, their accuracy rises. It's a load of... It's a gas. Yeah, the, the main heroes can get this move, but it just... The, it never seems to be work as well. <laughs> it's probably because you never get the, the your heroes are usually never on low HP. They either get to sort of half HP and then get one shotted by a boss, or they just remain at full HP because they dodge everything. <sighs> okay, so that's Axel. Lemon is well, she's not much of a challenge in battle, but she plays an interesting plot element. Somebody want to talk about oh. Lemon? They give her a better mech in the PS2 version, actually. Yeah, not Vice much Saber. better. She's uh, the Vice, the Vice Saber's to... pretty good. Yeah. I mean, oh, okay, okay, the Vice Saber is overshadowed by the, um, whatchamacallit. Uh, so damn. That's the one. Yes, game. good old Spitzer gain. Piloted by, uh, Bindle Mauser. Mauser. Uh, and yes, he's a load of laughs, because uh, Schweitzer game does not mess around. Yeah, and it's got a really cool boss sound music, too, with my favorites from the games. And it has pretty cool-looking attacks, too. Although they're not so cool-looking when they're ripping the shreds out of you. No. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Who else have we got in Shadow Mirror? Oh, uh, what about um oh, W15? Yes, W16, wasn't she? Yes. Get in Saki. We'll get to W15 in a second. I'm going backwards. Okay, fine. Yeah, Get in Saki um is well, um the the Shadow Mirror have brought a lot of what they call W numbers across with them, which are just effectively um most of the W series are, are like just sort of faceless androids that uh, uh form a, a majority of Shadow Mirror sort of grunt units piloted by them. Um, however, a couple of the n- sort of numbered, actual numbered W series are uh, basically sort of personalities in their own right. Uh, Ikenirisaki is um, uh, basically the, the, the kind of the primary W series character that interacts with Axel that's on the Shadow Mirror side. Um, and he doesn't, he, Axel doesn't get on well with her because he Treats her like a like a well, he treats her like a soulless automation most of the time. So, although that does kind of tie into how the interactions with W seventeen work. Well, W seventeen so. we have to say for when we talk about protagonists, even though she, well, W one seven we talk about later. W one five, on the other hand, Wodan Imir is the clone of Mister Sanger Zumbolt and doesn't like the fact that there's a real Sanger Zombold out there. I think it's another one of those robotic duplicates made from a corpse, but yeah, clone works. Yeah, pretty much. 
I think they did say that he was a clone, but whatever. Doesn't change that I think, he's I think, another guy with a big sword, and he wants it out with Sanger. Although, in, uh, interestingly, uh, the origins of uh, his unit, uh, um, the uh, yeah, the Thrugalmir, which is uh, Wardine Ymir's unit in the OG2 series, was originally piloted by Zenger in uh, Alpha Gaiden, which was its kind of official introduction to the, the, the Super Robot Wars series as a whole. Um, so they kind of worked it in um, to the OG continuity, but they gave it to Wardan Ymir, who does a pretty good job with it, actually, all things considered. He's, he's quite a tough opponent, and he does show up pretty early in the game to make your life interesting. Yeah, um, and like Echidna, you never really get to throw down with him and take him down. A plot development happens that takes him down instead. Yeah, there was a pretty awesome plot development with just him and Sunger fighting it out until they smashed through a wall, which everyone's considered unsmashable. Yeah, it's not just a wall, it's a wall underground. Oh, that oh, earth yeah. cradle. Um, oh, the earth cradles, yeah. Yeah, I guess we should talk about the few Neo-DC people you actually get to fight, and that takes us to Oka. No, hang on, we should probably cover the school separately. Yeah, although she is an antagonist, and she only really joins you for half of a battle before, uh... Bye-bye. Oh, that was... That just, uh... I was, I was more thinking along the lines of characters like Archibald. Yes, Archibald. Oh, is. yes! The man who the Bronstein brothers have a very reasonable argument with. Yes, reasonable, yeah, to say the least. <laughs> well, so, this guy is essentially a terrorist. That's what he is. Yep, he's a uh, he's a he's a former British aristocrat that just likes slaughtering innocent people and drinking yeah, he tea. Likes he poison. likes his tea. He likes, he likes poisoning people. That looks like blood. <laughs> yep, blood blood of the innocents. Yeah, he's he's got a big thing about that. But um, his doesn't really count. I was going to say Archibald's mere presence is enough to make the normally very stoic Rydis fly into a kind of homicidal rage. It's really quite spectacular. uh, Not so much Ratzel, but Ratzel is definitely affected by this guy, as you expect. No, I said Rydis. I did say I I did say Rydis. I know. Even though you'd think that I think it's also. That Ratzel would have an even bigger beef with the guy, considering it was his wife that died thanks to Archibald. Yes, I think it's also. I think uh, Rai's first encounter with Archibald, I think, is also one of the only uses of the word "bastard" in the entire script. It's probably justified. Yeah, Archibald is many things, but he is definitely not a nice guy. Nope. Uh, yeah. So what, Van Vat Tran? Uh, doesn't really count because he ends up dying after deciding that you're. Well, kind of, I think the problem is with Van Vatran is he likes to think he's important, but gets kind of overshadowed by everybody else. It's just a political figure, basically. So not much doesn't really do much in the game. Yeah, yeah he, he pilots he a, a tank of... in the end. The tank is the weapon of last resort for everyone. I thought it was less of a tank, more of a kind of, you know, land fort 
type thing. The, rhin- uh, the rhinoceros, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's the uh, land battleship. It's like the giant Morads from Victory or something. Yeah. They still go down with pathetic ease because they can't dodge anything and they're pretty easy to dodge themselves. And they yep. can't fire at anything adjacent to them. And you can find them for half the game by the time you actually fight him. Yep. Okay, that about covers the Neo DC. Because most of the time you're fighting the Shadow Mirrors who have allied with the Neo DC for a while. But we haven't talked about the Einst. And that leads us sort of to Alchemy, doesn't it? Yep. Well, who wants to yeah, carry if... the curious case of Alchemy? I'll take so it. So if there weren't... Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, Alchemy is basically... Um, she's kind of vaguely excellent evil Einst clone, kind of. <laughs> who's extremely obsessed with excellence, love and just Kyosuke. She's just kind of weird for most of the game, but she's nonetheless also a very dangerous opponent with her awesome um, lich kite. Lich kite, yeah. Lich kite. Which and has some really disturbing attacks to look at. Yeah, like the one that likes to just stab a sword on you and twist it around for a really long time with giant blood gouts coming out of robots. Hydraulic yeah, fluid's he- red, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Trust me, you will I'm, see a lot of Alphamy. I think you fight her and get the opportunity to shoot her down at least six times before the end of the game. And that still doesn't finish her off. No. Because she joins you at the end. Yep. Really. And that leads us to our final point. adversary, doesn't it? Stern Einst Regisur. Uh, actually, no, we, we still didn't talk about the school, actually. We, we didn't talk about Oka. Well, no, we did. Whoops. But Stern Einst Regisur is, in fact, an Einst, and the school is another category. And yeah. she still is the final boss, so. Yep. Uh, he, uh, basically, in the, in the, if you manage to get enough battle masteries, um, you first travel to the Einst home dimension, take them on on their turf. If you get the battle masteries in OG2, you warp back to, to regular space. Uh, he takes control of the, um, the white, what remains of the, uh, the white star and then attempts to slam it into a planet Earth to kill everyone. So you have a final boss if you get enough battle masteries that is 40 kilometers in diameter. Yep. It's basically a giant death star which has been possessed by a demon. And it has a gigantic it's... beam that would probably blow up any planet it happens to eventually come into contact with every time he uses it. Yeah, basically, it's, it's, it's the uh, it's the Death Star crossed with Cthulhu. It's not pretty. Yeah, and he has um, I think I counted. He has six hundred fifty thousand hit points. That's so really okay. And he only has ten percent hit point regen, but with that many hit points, it's significant. Okay, the school. Well, because they kind of fall into they kind of fall into both categories, really. Both they're both sort of antagonist, protagonist, sort of. Well, the students of the school can be protagonists. Well, let's deal with the antagonists first, and then we'll use the protagonists as a segue into the new people of this game. Yep. So, uh, Oka Nagisa is uh, effectively the, the 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 cool big sis of the school. Latin uh, Latuni recalls her with with. Um, 
you know, she's quite fond of her of her big sister, um, which is all fine and well until she kind of shows up, uh, you know, to, to against you, and she does actually prove to be an exceptionally good pilot. So yeah, but that's probably the- because. Probably because the guys at the school have been screwing around with their brains so much. Oh, the machine children. I forgot about them. Jeez. No wonder you wanted me to go back to the school. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about, I forgot about them. Tharasus and the other two. Udus? I think, was it? Yeah. They, they all look the same and they have slightly different personalities, but they're pretty much the same challenge, just they're a pain. I say they're all, they're all basically clones of one of the school members, actually. Yeah, put together by this freaky guy named Egret who has gigantic eyebrows that frighten me. And yeah, those 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 eyebrows are just sinister. There is no other way to describe them. Weaponized <laughs> <Organized> eyebrows. <laughs> old crone who runs the school and... Oh, Agelia Satome. I think it's the one character who I was really, really, really glad to see dead. Because <laughs> she really, really deserves it. Yes, she does. Yes, she loves playing around with people's memories and implanting false ones to make you a better tool. Okay, so that brings us to the two members of the school you will have join you, starting with Arado Balanga. Dear God, that guy can eat. (laughs) (laughs) He's also another one of those guys who's just ridiculously lucky. This is true. Well, it's how you you recruit him. You shoot him down and he survives. (laughs) Yeah, most people don't survive. Of course, we just introduce a little retcon saying, oh, you weren't really shot down, we just administered enough damage to make you run away. No, he's really shot down. Yeah, because I think it's Kai who, I think, pulls his escape pod out. Guy manages to luckily eject, and you sort of nurse him back to health, and he joins your side. Yes, and he first starts in that lovely battle where... Ryoto is taking the transport out, and you need to get it away without uh, having it shot early, down. He actually finds earlier, quite a bit earlier than that. But all right, I'm remembering when you get the boost hammer. That's right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um. Oh yeah, that mission. And then oh, later, is the, later, Siola uh, Schweitzer joins you. Siola, yeah, who Arado constantly stares at the boobs of. And Ziola seems to sort of alternate between kind of, you know, really, really disliking that and sort of not minding it so much. Yeah, and once you finally get her, her mech is pretty useful. It's all- uh, the, uh, the Wild Falcon uh, is a very, very good unit. Very, very good ranged unit. So Yeah, the Wild Verger is pretty useful too, although... Arado isn't necessarily suited to it as well as he would be to something else, but when he and Siola are together, you've got... Uh, dang it. Twin Bird Strike, there we go. Which is a pretty handy move. 
Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't. I would wasn't exactly as unsuited to his mech. Simply because if you actually fully upgraded the Wild Warrior, its defense is just ridiculous. It's very well suited to a high defense mech. Yeah, that's true. Of course, Arado's defense isn't as good as it should be, so you really need that upgrade. Yeah, you do. Yep. No uh, arguments. Then we go to Mai Kobayashi, who has quite a complex story behind her. Uh, well, Mai Kobayashi, a.k.a. Levi Tora. <laughs> a.k.a. the final boss of the previous game. Yep. Actually, you know, actually a human, actually has psychic powers, um, <laughs> develops a, one of those crushes on Ryusei that he completely ignores. Because <laughs> he's, he's, too, he's too busy gazing wonderfully at, at the at the uh, the angel G. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get to the Angelg in a minute. Right now we have to talk about Yuki and Carla, I think. And nobody remembers them. That's interesting. Not really. <laughs> no. It's just there's so much to say. They're <laughs> well, you, uh, you characters, they're um other telekinetic psychics. Uh, Yuki is Basically, Bullet's rival, even though not much comes of that. Uh, they join up I, in the new... I always season. stick Yuki in the bo- in the Huckabine Boxer, because he's awesome in it. He can dodge anything. I was picked Tsuko that myself, but oh well. Mm. Oh, um, yeah, Yuki's shtick is his, his tea time. He loves his tea. Carla's shtick is that she likes to dance, apparently. That's what a lot of her mm. battle quotes are. And, um, Carla's, although I think Carla's specific backstory is, um, she lost her family during, uh, one of the conflicts sparked by, during the previous game. A couple of characters have, have backstories that tie into that. Um, and, um, that's how she just coincidentally ended up with the Neo DC and how she then eventually ends up with you guys when she realizes what a bunch of douchebags the Neo DC are. <laughs> hey, talking about characters who have backstories like that, we forgot to talk about Lee Lynch and we're talking about antagonists. Uh, oh, late yes. oh, uh, God. Forgot about him. Yeah, I, he's he's just basically a big jerk, and his big thing is that he kills the very likable ship captain, and then has a massive stupidity of trying to ram a battleship with a giant drill on its front. <laughs> that was so funny. Yeah, I forgot about Lee mostly because you have to spend almost half the game with him on your side and he's in the worst ship in the game and he's not a good captain either when he's on your side. But you have to protect him because he's in a battleship and you can never let a battleship go down. Yeah, yeah actually, I, I think you do lose kind of... You do lose Lee pretty early, I, I thought. You um, you have Six to spend, like, in? the... Yeah, you have to spend the opening missions with Lee in the, in the Shiragane. Uh, and then basically the Hagane, which is the ship that, um, you know, your battleship captains were, were spent most of the previous game in, basically turns up, yoinks the main character off, characters off Lee, and then just sort of go tell Lee to go and sit in a corner. <laughs> okay, yeah, as long as we're talking about the battleships, Captain Daitetsu, who he is, oh. he is the quintessential old guy captain. He sits there with his beard, looking very stern, and his pipe, and don't forget it. Come, and his pipe. And oh, and his sea comes. Captain. Yes, he, he, he's just such, uh, he's Captain Avatar from Yam- uh, Starship Yamato. He just sits there, 
And when the, the time finally comes to give the absolute most critical order, he says, fire the mega particle cannons. And then everyone's like, oh, he said something. We should do that. And then everyone does it. Well, it's also funny because he's basically his, 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 uh, his sub, sort of sub-captain, um, Tetsuya Onodera, basically just follows after him like a lost puppy. It's actually quite adorable, really. Which makes Lee... No, yeah, I guess it was Lee who killed Daitetsu. Yep. There were so many people who showed up in that mission, I can't remember who killed who. Yeah, Lee killed Daitetsu. Well, Lee critically injured Daitetsu in his kind of dying moments. He he gives the order to, you know, <laughs> retreat after firing the uh, Hagane's main cannon with its uh, with the brakes off, effectively. Yeah, the tronium cannon, isn't it? Yeah, the tronium buster cannon. <laughs> with the with with the ship's gravity break off or something like that to to allow for a, a speedy retreat. Okay, let's see. Uh, and then he and then he dies. And then at his funeral, um Ratzel drops the uh drops the disguise, comes attends the funeral as Elzam because he feels as though it would disrespect the captain's name. And it's really quite heartwarming, actually, because most of the main characters are reduced to just kind of crying wrecks at this particular event. Yeah. I think the only person who manages to not shed any manly tears is Zenga. <laughs> he's too manly for that junk. He's just, he's just too manly for tears. But everyone else, oh boy. Like the Full other on. ship captain, Captain Lafina. The quintessential busty captain. Yeah, what is she? She's 17 and she's the captain 19. of the battleship? That's a tr- 19, I'm sorry. She's like, That's she's cool. basically, she reminds me a lot of that captain from, from Gundam 00, she, without the drinking. She's like this kind of genius prodigy captain. Um, uh, and they... If anything, they she's should... uh, Stupid Face from Full Metal Panic. <laughs> oh, she yeah. sits there and looks pretty while the old British XO does all the real work. Yeah, except the, the the problem is 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 Sean her XO is is kind of too busy um, memorizing her measurements. This is especially yeah, Sean apparent. and Tetsu were old friends, and uh, apparently Sean takes serving with a woman as his superior lightly. Well, the, the, there's a there's a bonus mission in in the PS2 version of OG2 where oh, the yes. uh, the well Hiryu we have to talk about Kai. that when we get to the import corner. Yeah, where the hero Kai gets gets ambushed by enemies at, late at night, which is really just an excuse for the writers to put Lafina in in her in a nighty. With a teddy bear. With a teddy bear. This massive uh, lion teddy bear. Oh. It's, it's okay. hilarious. Okay, there's a big one we haven't talked about. Lamia Loveless. Yeah. <laughs> and I know if Sam was here, she'd love Lamia Loveless because Lamia has a very prominent display of a certain asset that Sam just loves to look at. Tatas! <laughs> God, if you just talk about them, she comes. It's easy. <laughs> what? I elliptically mention breasts and Sam is there. <laughs> I'm muting my mic again. <laughs> well, let's see, Lamia. Lamia definitely plays a role in the plot. The Angel is a really good unit, and if you get um, 
the, well, the Ash Vice Saber is really good unit too. But, and I'd probably pick Ash Saber because anyone can use it, whereas with uh, Vice Saga, you have to choose is Lamia going to be in the Anjil or the Vice Saga? Anyway, John, you, you seem to remember. Uh, basically, um, Lamia is, is the aforementioned W17. She is a, uh, she's a spy sent by the Shadow Mirror to keep an eye on you. Um, and sort of to keep, well, specific, more specifically to keep an eye on the sort of, uh, regular dimensions version of Beowulf, Kyosuke Nanbu. Um, however, she, uh, over time, she kind of develops, uh, <laughs> she, she's That's originally, a, yeah, she begins to question her orders and, and question her kind of state of being, which, which culminates in, um, her re- temporarily returning to, um, the, the Shadow Mirror forces before, um, stabbing the, stabbing them in the back and effectively going back to your side. And if you fulfill certain requirements, um, she returns to your side with a, with a fanciful secret unit. Either the Ash Saber, which you will see a fair number of in use by the Shadow Mirrors and to have one on your side is quite useful. Or the Vice mm-hmm. Saga, which you can pretty much dump the Angelg and not use anymore because the Vice Saga is so awesome. The only problem is only Lamia can use it. Yep. Oh, and for most of the game, until Lemon fixes it, she has a slightly busted language emitter, which Exelon just loves because Lamia says some goofy things that she didn't mean to say, and that's the sort of thing Exelon jumps on with gusto. Well, there's also um, uh, the fact that... um uh, Lamia's sort of uh, original, uh, sort of unquestioning n- nature, particularly when it <laughs> came to orders, means that um, when Lamia is first introduced to the team, it means Excellent seizes the opportunity and gets her to call her um, Big Sis X, Big Sis Xy. I, all I remember is the the, the, the Japanese version is Xe or Nesama, or something, um, which is which I always find hilarious for some reason. Because um, Lamia just takes it with a, with a kind of level of seriousness that nobody else can ever seems to get. Yeah, Lamia's desire to follow orders also leads to one of like I think like number two on my top three favorite Kusaha energy drink moments. Oh yes, <laughs> it's just the whole moment where it's basically it's like basically. Lamia sees everyone else recall in horror from the energy drink, but she has no idea why, but she's in order to drink it anyways, so she dies and thinking it's poison, which is just hilarious. In fact, doesn't, I, I forget, doesn't that also affect her quite, despite being an android, doesn't the health drink also kind of affect her quite badly? Sure seem to. Yeah, there are, there are like, there are two characters or something immune to that health drink. So... I think um, Arado is one of them um, because he's such a big eater, and Retzel is the other one because he's a chef and can identify all of the bizarre ingredients that she puts in it. Everyone else, including Ingram, who I believe takes a takes a swig of it in OG yeah, that's one, one of the whole is, Yeah, because he, he he takes he takes a swig, manages to keep his composure long enough to leave the room. Um, that that people are, are congregating in just to then almost f- collapse from sort of stomach pains. Okay. So. Also, for the record, Ryu say is immune to the energy drinks because he knows what's in them and knows to run away. 
<laughs> yeah, he just knows to run. <laughs> he's immune via shoes. His shoes grant him immunity. Let's see. Oh, yeah, we we forgot to mention how Bullet and Kusuha eventually get a brand new shared mech. I like that thing. Um, oh, cool? yeah. Yo, um, cool. The Dragon Tiger. <laughs> the, uh, basically, the, um, the Einst have, have, have actually been, uh, have roamed the Earth before, and the, uh, the people who came up with something to stop it were, were the ancient Chinese who created, um, uh, ancient, the ancient Chinese mecha, the Chokhijin, based on, um, star constellations, which gave, which eventually gives, um, Kusur and Bullet, um, the Ryu core, uh, and the core Ryu, uh, when they, um, absorb their previous unit, uh, one of the Grungusts, I think. Um, and yeah, they, they then kind of merge together, and so basically Kusa and Bullet spend the rest of OG Do kicking ass in what is effectively a reborn ancient Chinese mecha, which is a bit weird, really. All things what, said and done. ancient Chinese are, did the best everything. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah, it only makes sense that an ancient Chinese mech would be both a tiger and a dragon, because those are the most awesome animals the Chinese knew. Too bad yeah. we don't get to see Ryuko's kind of badass hidden rifle of the Jakubo. No, we don't. We don't see. We don't see the true. We don't see the true form of that thing until we get to um, the Alpha series. Unfortunately, I end up, we never even see it in the Alpha series. Sadly, not mm, Even so. Oh, I forgot all about Ibis because I like Ibis. Oh, Ibis. Ibis is awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's no, there's just something about somebody whose best attack involves first spraying machine gun fire in front of you, then launching a spread of missiles, and then moving fast enough at ramming speed to catch up as the missiles are landing. Which also has the like the goofiest name ever as well. The rapid acceleration mobility break, I think. Or yes, the yeah, ram. yeah. Ramvies. Grammar. Oh, yes. yeah. The Rapid Acceleration Mobility Break Variable Shoot, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's almost on the level of uh, the R-Gun powered in OG-1 when whenever anybody uses it usually shouts Metal Genocider Maximum Shoot. Yeah. Or any of uh, the, or the, the acronyms <laughs> for Gundam from the Cosmic Era shows. Those are horrible. Mm. Oh, they are terrible. <laughs> Um, and, uh, not forgetting Ibis's rival, um, Slay Priesty, who is just a I, jackass. Yeah, I rip. guess we can count her even though she's barely in the game. More as a goad for Ibis than anything else. And she mm. is the one who gets the, the whole Red Comet joke. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the tr- I think it's uh, one of Masaki cats who, who attempts to name her the Scarlet Comment before being shushed just on the off chance that they infringe copyright. <laughs> Oh, I forgot Princess Shine, although that's more justifiable. Yeah. She's even a though the goddamn Fairlions Jedi. Are, <laughs> even though the Fairlions are pretty darn interesting to look at. Yeah, the Fairlions are fun. <laughs> They've got an awesome combination attack just because it's so hilarious <laughs> and powerful. 
Uh, the, the, the Fairline's design came around because, um, Erm's dad and, um, I think it's Filio, the guy who works with Ibis on Project TD, basically came together and designed a unit after a heavy night's reading, um, goth, gothic Lolita magazines. If it wasn't dancing shows, like little pop idol dancing shows or something? Yes, and that. A Royal Heartbreak that certainly looks like it came out of a dancing show. Oh, yeah. And I know Sam will, pick, will perk up when it looks like the robots extend their metallic boobs during Royal Heartbreaker. Uh, yeah, she, whenever I'm playing Super Robot Wars K, she uh, makes makes me watch the animations for, um, what's that Mazinger unit with the boob missiles, whenever I use that one. Oh, the Aphrodite, eh? Yeah, the Aphrodite. <laughs> It's a stupid mech, but my god, is it fun to watch. <laughs> uh, I love it when Sam's okay. contributions. We covered so much everything in so. OG2. Oh, Gilliam's backstory. Okay. Uh, Maybe I'll take this one? Yeah, explain this one for us. Okay. Gilliam's Jaeger backstory starts in some, like, was it? I can't remember the name of the Her- game, but he had his own little Hero game. Senki. Yes, Hero Senki, which is a game which starred Kamen Rider and Ultraman, I think. And Masaki and yep. Shu, for some reason. And he was the villain of that. And then he got kicked out. Like, this is his first appearance in the Super Robot Wars series, but it's actually his canonical backstory. Since he keeps skipping between worlds, he should have been a bunch of different Super Robot Wars games, and they're all canonical for OG, I think. Which is Yeah, because, why- um... The, the Shadow Mirror mention, um, his, his original name, Helios Olympus, um, when they, when they're talking, when they're doing their sort of vagueness, discussions about vagueness, they mention his, his former name as, as the first jumper, the guy who kind of teleported ahead of them. And he actually has, like, um, you know, quite a critical plot MacGuffin in his possession, I believe. Yeah, basically, he himself is actually the main key to the dimension-jumping technology the Shadow Mirrors are using. So, without him actually physically attached to their machine, it's worthless. Mm. Well, almost worthless. He, yeah, which means he... And he he makes some very... In the PS2 version, he makes some very, very cryptic references that, that really, really do start to strain the, the kind of... Sort of the, 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 the kind of metafiction surrounding the entire series. Um, so... Although a couple of them won't make sense unless you've played Super Robot War Z. So. Okay, so have we covered pretty much everything for OG2? I think uh, the relationship uh, system is about it. Okay, well, you remember it best, Scott. Take it. Okay, so this is one of those sort of guide-dang-it moments of the... the of uh, this particular game is that every character that ends up joining you has uh, inter- has a relationship with at least a few other characters. And if you stick two characters in a relationship close enough together, I think they actually have to be adjacent. Yep. They'll get a bonus. And depending on what that relationship category is, they'll get a different kind of bonus. So if you stick um, Ryusei, Kiyosuke, and Rai really close together, they'll give each other, like, 5% extra damage, because they're rivals. Critical hit rate for rivals. Critical hit rate for rivals. And then there's, like, Um, lovers and friends and something else. I think it's just rivals, friends, and lovers. 
Yeah. <laughs> this really, is, uh, oh, this is actually... one thing. OG OG two on GBA only has the chain attacks, which are they can be pretty useful. Oh, chain attacks are uh, awesome. Yeah, basically, if an enemy lines up, uh, like two or three enemies line up in a row, you can attack with a chain attack weapon and just kind of go down the row, hitting all the enemies, which can do a lot of damage really easily. Yeah, and only this the is, first uh, one attacking. I was going to say the um, both the relationship system and the the chain attack system were kind of two ideas. They then kind of developed a bit more and then threw into the uh, the, the the mainline Super Robot Wars games. So they, they clearly liked the ideas a lot. They just made it easier to read. They sort of in, increased the flexibility of the system. Um, but I, uh, you know, judging by its appearance in the other games, the, the chain attacks and the relationship system were, were well. They had their start in OG2, where they were reasonably well done. Um, so, yeah, uh, they worked quite well, if you could figure them out. <laughs> yeah. Yes, the, the dispensed it. kick is a chain attack in this game. Oh, God. Should we mention the guest pence kick? The dispensed kick turns is awesome. everyone into badass. <laughs> yeah, basically, if you put um, anyone, anyone in the game at all, uh, in the in the guest pence S, and have them perform the guest pence kick attack, it instantly turn, transforms them into a, you know, this screaming hot blood machine. And in the PS2 version, which has, you know, fully voiced characters, this is especially apparent as everyone does it. Even the, you know, the, the kind of cute, ador- you know, characters you thought were adorable will, will just suddenly bust a lung, shouting at the top of their voice. Uh, I think Kyosuke even tries to attempt to break the microphone with his one. <laughs> yeah, just. he comes pretty darn close. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and oh, um, Ratzel, Ratzel makes, like, the most bizarre reference to Turn A Gundam yes. ever. <laughs> Universal! <laughs> which, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to say it right now because I'd, uh, I'd probably blow your ears out. <laughs> At least not the big <laughs> But yes, when Ratzel gets hot-blooded, he gets very hot-blooded. Oh, and we forgot about his unit, the the Ausenseiter, and it's... The Ausenseiter, which is so much fun to say. And the tornado gets to do with the Dizinger, which is um, interesting because it seems... Crazy awesome. (laughs) Yeah, you don't see... House Insider turn into a horse and be ridden by Dizinger anywhere else. Real men ride each other. <laughs> okay, uh, I guess we should note that the visuals took a knock up in exchange for the audio taking a slight knock down from OG1. Agreed? I wouldn't say that. They're just the wide range of music in OG2 is much better over the, in the same song over and over again in OG1. Yeah, there's a lot of variety in OG2, and that certainly adds to it. Well, I would say that some of the songs I've heard that were in OG1 don't sound quite as good on in OG2. It's some of that GBA tinny audio kicking in. Hmm. Although a couple of them actually sound better in the GBA audio than they did in the PS2 version, oddly enough. Yeah, a few songs like the Vindal Mauser's Chaos theme sounds way better on the GBA than the PS2, oddly enough. I was thinking more of uh, Lamia's alternate theme. Um, 
which I'm not remembering the name of right now. Help me out, John. So Sorry, close and yet so far. Yeah, so, so close, close and yet so far. Never mind. That sounds better on GBA to me. Hey, Garrett. I played you some of the Super Robot Tyson music. What are your thoughts on it? I like it. I actually, uh, I, I commented that it sounded like it had all the same instruments as, uh, Sonic Game. <laughs> I remember that. But, no, I, I really liked it. It was really good. Everything's upbeat. Seems to really stay intense. Probably, uh, good in case you're ADD and playing the game. It would definitely keep you, uh, kind of paying attention. Yeah, have we ever mentioned exactly how the battle themes work in this game? In these no, games? Okay, do you want uh, me you- to take it? Someone else. I know you mentioned uh, one boss, how it actually changes halfway to to try to energize you to beating him. That's only on the PS2, but yeah, when you fight Septuagint, when you fight Stern Einstregisur on PS2, then once you get them down to, I think it's 25% hit points, the music will change to a remix of a jam tune, a jam project tune from another game, and it just serves to goad you into finishing the battle all the more. This jam project does that. Yeah. But the music, okay, so when you're looking around uh, your main screen, you'll have sort of a background tune, and you'll be grooving along to that. And then you'll pick a unit and tell it to attack, and if you watch the attack animation, the music switches to that particular character's little light motive. So original characters get their own songs. Um, if you're playing sort of the main franchise games, you'll get like some kind of a theme song or an image tune for that particular character. And one of the neat things is that boss fight music overrides all music. So when the big bad dudes show up, you hear their song and you know you're in trouble. And there was this interesting sort of glitch that... It first showed up in what alpha? Yeah, where... I think it was the original alpha. I think yeah, alpha I could be where... completely wrong on that. That's one. actually one that had the glitch. Either they came out really close together, so I can never keep them straight. But the idea was, until th- that point, you never really had a case of a boss sort of changing sides. So when the man Elzam Van Branstein <laughs> becomes uh, your teammate, his his uh, little theme song, Trombe, which you heard in the opening skit, <laughs> sort of cuts into the boss music, and that sort of led to the a bit of his uh, mimetic badassery, is that you know, he's the only guy who can stop other people's music. Well, in, um, in it, most of the games produced that have had him since then, um, they have purposefully changed his music priority so that it always, always overwrites everything. Um, I mean, I myself, um, I used Ratzel to defeat the uh, the final boss of, of Alpha 3. Now, typically, the final boss of Alpha 3 plays an instrumental of, of one of Jam Project's songs, Gong, over, over the, kind of, the, the kind of final section of the battle. But to deliver the final hit, I used Ratzel completely forgetting about his override bug. So rather than, you know, the, the, the triumphant themes of Gong, I instead had Trombe playing as I cleaved the boss in half with Tornado Blade. Um, which was quite funny, but <laughs> I think I may have detracted from the epicness of the scene somewhat by doing that. Yeah, Trombe can sometimes just get a little gratingly, oh, I'm listening to boss and boss themes, suddenly it's Trombe again, which can be a little annoying at times. 
I really, I really want to throw down the money for a phone with an MP3 player. Not so I can listen to MP3s on my phone, but so I can have Trombe as my ringtone. Because <laughs> my cell phone always interrupts me. It, it makes sense. <laughs> I actually use a song from Endless Frontiers as my ringtone. Hey, Nathan, that's a good segue. I think it's time to talk about the only other Super Robot Tyson game that has come out officially in English so far. Super Robot Tyson OG Saga Endless Frontier. That's a hell of a lot of colon cancer. That is oh. serious colon cancer. Developed by Ben Presto and Monolith Soft. Published in North America by Atlas April 28, 2009. This is a console RPG experience for you, Nintendo DS. Hi! <laughs> Rated T for teen. Uh, mostly, uh, anything said by most of the characters. There's a reason why they call it Endless Tits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Endless boobies. <laughs> My favorite. Boobies! Boobies indeed. Oh, uh, so where do we them. start with this one? How about we just. Well, I start. Well, let's go characters cares. in order of cup size. <laughs> oh, Scott. No, the absolute most important part of this game is the plot and not the boobies guy. Come on no. now. No, 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 no. no. See, it really is the boobies. Seriously. Yeah, the plot's well, a little bare bones to be a little generous with it. Can I at least make an attempt? Sure. Well, okay, so basically, Endless Frontier is kind of like a, um, it's kind of seems to be chronologically set between sort of OG1 and OG2. Uh, the PS2 version of Original Generations makes a few more references to Endless Frontier as basically some kind of bizarre dimensional thing, um... And basically, it's it's a setting built out of kind of multiple worlds, sort of world fragments separated by these interdimensional gates, where these characters, which seem to share names and traits and similarities to some of the uh, original generation's characters, wander around. So we have characters like um, Haken Browning, who basically is uh, carries the name of one of the original generation's characters. But is also a serial womanizer. Um, hey, hey, hey! He is the most gorgeous thing since sliced bread. Just <laughs> okay, throwing it okay, out there. I yield he's to also Sam a cowboy. Um, he's also a cowboy yes, with he is, chaps. He is a cowboy. He has a long-barreled revolver that converts into a massive wave motion gun. Um, and he has his robotic butler, uh, servant, robotic. Yeah, uh, in Ash in uh, Ashen. Oh, Ash, um, Ash which who shares who shares Ash to Ash as a theme song with Lamia Loveless. Interestingly enough, well, uh, Ashen is W 7 Lamia's pre- predecessor. Shares exactly the same voice actress and some of her personality. <laughs> I love I love her. She's my favorite character in the game. Like I, every time I was playing, um, whenever I did her super attack, I would totally mimic her while I would be playing it, just because her cheerfulness just amused the living crap out of me. This one was she's so dead serious, and then two seconds later she's like, you know, it's a go, and it's really creepy. <laughs> it's so awesome. Oh, it was really creepy with that particular one. Is um, it's uh, same. It's the same voice actress that sort of voices both voices for Ashen. 
you know, she kind of switches between this, this kind of sort of dull, flat, deadly serious monotone, and then suddenly she's kind of like this really jovial, happy character. It, it's catchy, it really is quite jarring when you first hear it. Stand punch! See, she's just fun. I love yep. her. Yes, yeah, basically, uh, I was going to say, um, not exactly, oh, sorry. Um, basically, in, in OG2, uh, Lamia Loveless has this thing called, uh, code DTD, dust to dust, which is, uh, I think it's a self it's a kind of personal self-destruct device. It's code in, in the GB2, which is code ash to ash. The code yeah. DTD is the Endless Frontier version. Yeah, I, they're both mentioned in Endless Frontier, but, uh, Ashen's code DTD doesn't really do much aside from effectively changing her voice into the kind of high-pitched happy mode um, and shedding all of her spandex. And letting her punch so. harder. Yeah. Yeah, it's a general performance upgrade. Well, well, remember, every woman in this game strips when they do their super attack. Okay? Well, like, Suzuka, but Suzuka doesn't really need to strip. Do you oh, want to see do? the washboard? Oh. Do you want to see the washboard <laughs> strip? Because I don't. <laughs> I, I, I'm putting I'm putting that game in my DS right now. Hold, I'll be right back. <laughs> Phil will I don't be want in his bunk. <laughs> like I said, God. nobody wants to watch the washboard, you know, strip. Okay, fine. I so gotta, talk, I'm gonna walk out of the room for a few minutes, guys. Like five or ten minutes, I'll be back later. Uh, so talk talk about Kaguya instead, Sam. Oh, Kaguya. We made Anna a convert when we showed pictures of her flapping around as her tits swung left and right as she jumped into the air doing cartwheels and backflips and front flips. <laughs> See, I don't care what the plot is for her. She's a princess, she's a stowaway, and she does lots of flippy things, and I swear she needs to wear a bra, but at the same time it's so amusing to watch her do it that I don't care. <laughs> yeah, Kaguya's main role in Endless Frontier is basically to be the front of a lot of sexual innuendo and double entendres. Oh, but she yes, double, they never get to double. It's just single entendre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Atlas, uh, have, Atlas had no problem whatsoever with keeping the deep and philosophical spirit of I, what must have been such wondrous, profound dialogue of the original Japanese in which we learn... Uh, yeah. That women have boobs and men will mock them, and other women will mock the ones who have small boobs. Uh, uh, Haken does uh, call her, um, I think, Princess Cow on a number of occasions, actually. Yep. And Melon Smuggler. And the Werefrog Show. <laughs> yep. I, I kind of love Melon Smuggler myself. <laughs> that was my favorite. Anytime he mentioned her boobs as melons, I, I just, I would snort giggle. I don't know how many times. Like, I went up to my cottage, and I took this game with me, and every so often, I'd be reading the dialogue and start giggling. My mother would look over, and she's like, what is so funny? I'm like, boob jokes. She's like, oh, dear God, okay, I don't want to even know what you're touching. And then I'd show her, and she'd be like, oh, my God, Samantha, why are you playing this game? I was like, because the boobs are funny. (laughs) 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 My mother takes things in good humor. (laughs) Yeah. As she would have with you for her daughter. Haken does spend most of his time um, giving, like, bizarre nicknames to just about every single character in the game. Like Watchboard. Uh, even, the, even, 
Even the antagonists. <laughs> just every single character, he kind of assigns an arbitrary nickname. Kaguya um, is more of a kind of, yeah, she's kind of a, a kind of naive princess type, but she is still technically the sword that cleaves evil, even if she kind of has to stick a cutesy desu on the end of each of her sentences. <laughs> um, but yeah, she, well, she, she has a big she has a big sword and cleaves things in half. Sounds like someone else we know. Yeah. yeah, it does. Only that person doesn't have the surname of Nanbu. Interesting. Yes. So, uh, where do we go from here, character-wise? We go uh, for the people who were in other games that were not Super Robot Tyson games, such as Rage. No, and hang Shou- on, we forgot. We forgot Xiaomu. No, not Xiaomu. Um, Suzuka. Suzuka, and yeah, nobody likes Suzuka. Suzuka's awesome. She's got a great neck. I like and Suzuka. Things full of bullets. Lots I do like her disco. And she's got her disco, disco Her disco attack is pretty awesome, but l- let's be honest here, she's piss weak. For me, I, I don't know how many times I'd, I'd put her in and she would just die. Like, even the battle you're forced to use her in, she just died immediately, and I was like, yep, not bothering re-raising you because you're just useless. I can't handle it. It's like, stay in the oh, back and don't do I anything. I thought she had some awesome techniques. Like, she's the only one who can use... Uh... The ability that it's escaping my memory right now where you double the experience someone else gains for a battle. That's pretty darn handy to have for the people who can't use that on themselves. I don't know if it's the case in Ends Frontier, but I know it is in Exceed, is that Suzuka is also really, really fast for some She's reason. She's very fast <laughs> in the first game, too. Because um, because in Ender's Frontier, you, um, you have a 100%... Um, basically, you, you if you run away from battle, it'll always be 100% successful unless... Uh, it's like a, you know, a forced encounter, and there are not a lot of those that aren't boss fights. So basically sticking Suzuka in your party effectively allows you to run away from anything. Because she's fast enough to go, usually go before the enemies if you keep her leveled up. Like I said, so. for me, I just, I found her not very useful. But then again, I used a character that I know Scott didn't use when he was playing a game, which was Cosmos. And <laughs> I know a lot of people complain that Cosmos is kind of, Weak, but I found my own ways around using her. So I mean, it's to each their own. And yeah, not to mention, I mean, I wanted my party to be the boobtacular party, so it had to be Cosmos, Ashen, and <laughs> Kagia. Because I and didn't who was bother with anybody else. Oh, and Haken. Ah. Haken had to be. He's pimp master. <laughs> so you have to have it like that. And I, I stayed that way the whole game because it, I was more amused by that as a party. And I just, I didn't really care for Suzuka. Mostly because just her little bratty behavior kind of drove me crazy. I don't like characters like that. I'd rather take someone who's dippy and stupid like Kaguya over someone who's whiny and irritating like Suzuka. (laughs) And she is. She's whiny and irritating and I just want to like punch her in the face. And then I'm just like, you know what, Xiaomu? You just keep making fun of her for me. That makes it all better. Which you know she does. So, yes. so yeah, lead, which kind of leads into the uh, into some of the other characters. The um, the ones from Namco uh, Capcom. Yep, Reiji and Jaomu, who were originally patterned off um, uh, Kiyosuke and Excellent anyway. Um, so those two work well together. I love you, even if, Reiji. He's just a beat stick. <laughs> even if you are, even if Reiji has too many swords for his own good, and Xiaomu is like a 750-year-old Kitsune with a strange fascination with spanking. Well, I like I how Reiji has the same voice actor as uh, Takashi. 
I don't know. Takashi just had a really good voice actor to me. And oh, I, I remember him as, um, as Romstall. So. Yeah, anybody who simultaneously uses a blade and a gun has some awesome points. Yeah. Well, he basically, he's raging shtick as he kind of carries around a rack which has two swords and a, and a kind of, you know, a gun loaded in the bottom of it, which he just kind of uses them all interchangeably. So he either dual wields his, he either uses a single sword, dual wields his swords, or, uh, has a sword in one hand or his gun in the other, and he kind of mixes them all around kind of thing. His rival has a habit of doing that as well. And hmm. then there's Cosmos. <laughs> oh, Cosmos. Oh. You make me so happy. Yeah, I don't even like Zeno Saga, but I like her. <laughs> I had Cosmos in my party a lot, but, you know. You know why I like her? I'll make it Oops. very simple. Yeah. I like how her special attack unfolds, and you watch, like, parts of her unclip, and then her boobs, like, pop out of, like, the clip. And then you just see them, like, <laughs> jiggle and fluff. And then you're just kind of like, well, this is kind of, this is kind of the, this is kind of the danger that you encounter when you build a, you know, a, a, an android female, which has got like this massive chest blaster thing, the X Buster. Uh, I, I mean, you really have to ask the characters of Xenosaga what the hell they were thinking when they designed it, but. Oh no, who cares? She's Actually, numbing. You shouldn't ask the characters of Xenosaga anything about what they're thinking because then you have to sit around while they explain it for 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> also, we have to listen to Xion talk, and bleh. <laughs> no, no, that woman needs, like, a gag. She just shouldn't talk okay, ever. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> what, about the, what about the villains, though? Telos, Telos, Telos! Which Telos. villains? There's tons of them in that game. You have to fight every last one of them at least twice. Telos! Except the final Telos. boss. Sam, we all know you like Telos, and we all know the reason Actually, why. Okay, look, do fight the right, final Sam, boss, like, Sam, at least we're not talking about Telos, we're talking about Saya. Saya's awesome, oh, fun. Saya. <laughs> I, I like that she has, like, a nice can, and she always, like, has to hurt her butt when she does her attacks. I like that she has Ai Orasaka's voice, because I love Ai Orasaka's voice. Mm, I like her. She's Kitsune Lady, and I don't even like furries. <laughs> Well, let's see. There are so many villains. Oh, there's Anne, the pirate lady. I know Sam will remember her. Oh. Remember when I was complaining about her stupid anchor attack that's really, really, really cheap? Where she just kind of throws this anchor at you and... It was just so annoying. On the other hand, every time she threw it, she dipped down a little and, oh my god, she has triple Fs and everyone else's breasts probably revolve around her. <laughs> oh dear! Can we not talk oh, about coma? By the way, let's ignore coma. Yes, oh come on! What's wrong with coma? Because of because of her boobs, they have a different gravitational pull, and things start to fly around her. No, no, no! My reason for coma, my coma hate, is very simple. I don't know how many times I swore in the car ride home from my cottage because she just did the same attack. Over and over again. It was like she only had one attack. The what? The one where she drops hideous quantities of money on you. Yes. (laughs) It drove me crazy. And it was like, you know what, you stupid cat girl? I'm going to punch you. And you know what I did? I sent Ashton to blow her up, and Ashton did. 
I was so happy. And then you had to fight her like 40 bajillion more times, and I was like, I hate you, game. I hate you, because you know how <laughs> you much know I hate her. Do you, know what's even, do you know what's even better, Sam? What? You get to fight her again in the, in the sequel. <laughs> and then she joins your team. And then she joins you. Then yeah, you get to fight her. We're not talking about the sequel quite yet. Let's go with the no. orchestral army. <laughs> oh, they were pretty cool, actually. And they had an awesome theme song. That's yeah, the uh, their theme song was one of the best things about them. Yeah, I think Sam will remember Henna, the Valkyrie lady. <laughs> yep, she was cool. <laughs> I liked her. I did like Fairy Lady, though, who I know she fights alongside with. Yeah, sometimes. Kion drove yes. me nuts, because Kion, Kion has the same like problem. Ex- well, you know what it is? She has the same problem that Koma has, the... I use one attack and one attack only. Oh, and let's not forget forced evasion every time, you know, I attack. She was one of the worst for spamming forced evasion. Both of them, actually. Both Valkyrie Lady and Kion. They were the worst for that. Because it didn't matter if you were making a really good chain. They were always going to break your chain within the first character. And just used to make me really cranky. So I would just spam items. And then it just, oh, I don't like some of the bad guys in this game. <laughs> and then eventually Hacken learns the Rampage Ghost, which ignores Forced Evasion and does a ton of damage, so it's pretty useful. It's the best attack ever. That's why he's worth keeping around. Uh, there's also the uh, the leader of the Orchestral Army, um, Ezel, Ezel, who spends yep. the entire game with a with a skull mask on and has an absolutely enormous axe. Oh, so he doesn't actually look like Ghost Rider? He simply is wearing a mask? I, I think it is implied to be a mask. He just never takes it off. Huh. But yes, he, he, he just, he's basically just a very large, imposing guy with a really, really, really big axe. And not in particular... That means he's a pain to get in the air for combos. Yep. There's also the former Orchestral Army member... Oh, yes, um, Katza. Katza. Who the- is... Dangerously flamboyant. Yes. You know, most cat men, even cat men, wouldn't be confident enough to wear those belly-bearing shirts. But he does. He also spends quite an inordinate amount of time hitting on male members of the party. (laughs) Of course, they're all male members of the party, so he doesn't get to do that very often. No, there aren't very many of them, but he does, I believe he does hit on Haken at least twice. Does it to Reiji too, and Reiji has like a little freak out over it. <laughs> like, at least, at least Haken took it with good humor. Reiji has a complete freak out. He's just like, this guy is hitting on me, what do I do? <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> you ignore him, because he's creepy. I, I mean, I love flamboyantly gay characters, he was hilarious. You just wanted to picture him with the voice like, ooh, yes. At least that's how I pictured him, and I don't know. He he amused me. I liked hey, him. His also voice was plenty could... gay in the Japanese as it was. Oh, I know. It was great. I know. What, was... What's, even worry, what's even more worrying is um, Katsy's Japanese voice actor. I think he's actually, I think it's Rai, Rai's voice actor, same guy. Just, you know, wow. with the camp levels turned up to 11. <laughs> Oh, another one I'm sure Sam will remember, Dorothy. I like Dorothy. And her Dorothy and her bombs. Yes, I was going to say, her her can-can bombs. 
She lifts her leg up, and lo and behold, a bunch of bombs. Like, where does she keep that thing? Seriously. <laughs> you don't want to know. Exactly. No, I don't. <laughs> you don't want to uh, know, but at the same time, you kind of can't help but stare and go, Wow, Dorothy. Dude. <laughs> what are you doing? And she just doesn't care. She's just like, yep, I'm a scientist, and yep, I've got big boobs, and yep, I'm all going to make you guys suffer. But here's some items, and then you're going to suffer some more. Oh, look, more items. Suffering. She she had a lather rinse for peace. Uh, yeah, because she, she, she uh, in addition to fighting you several times and handing you some quite important items, she does also kind of stand there, open a shop, and then charge you ridiculous amounts of money for some very nice equipment. Kind of worth it. Yeah. Like, as much as, like, we bitch about the money, it totally is worth it to get some of her items, because you won't see them again anytime soon, because she sporadically appears, too. Not like Coma, where at least when Coma appears, you can kind of rely on her a little bit. Dorothy, Mm -hmm. Dorothy's a little more problematic, because sometimes you'll be like, oh, I need that item, and you'll be like, wait, I'm not going to see Dorothy for, like, ever. And there's, uh, um, uh, who else? Oh, there's, um, W06. Cardia. Oh, yeah, Cardia? Something like that? Yeah, Cardia. Sorry. Yeah. Um, who basically functions as kind of Endless Frontiers version of, um, Echidna Isaki. Um, yeah. and has a, uh, has a combat style that references, um, Axel's, um, combat moves in OG2. Uh, she kind of just shows up to make Ashen's life irritating. Um, but also tie, kind of ties into the, um, the uh, the three or four technically sort of more human sized mecha wandering around the world the um, which are all based on uh, mecha that appeared in the uh, appeared in original generations. Yeah, there's the Abend and the Nacht, but I can't remember what the Gespenst version is called here. Phantom Gespenst Phantom. Phantom. I do and remember the Dark game because it had an awesome remix of Dark Knight for its theme. Yeah. Yeah, the Ark gain, uh, which is basically just a, a modified version of the Soul gain, and is a lot smaller, and is a really nasty boss to fight because it has freaking health regen. Well, all the robots oh. do. Yeah. Um. Okay, we is King King Rubor counted all the wolf guy. You do fight him a couple of times. Yeah, there's a bunch of other characters which are associated with the with I think it's kind of like the politics in dealing between Kaguya's kind of Oriental Kingdom and the the Oni where Suzuka comes from. There's a bunch of kind of satellite characters that you do have to beat up on several occasions surrounding them. But of I course, our, our real antagonist that we find out, although you could probably guess if you've been seeing some of the layouts and hearing some of the music. It's the Einst again. Yep. Mm-hmm. They're back with their clones, which means you get to fight four Kagias. That's a lot of boob. Best <laughs> boss fight ever. How many... How many times eight boobs right there? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, uh, like that was my greatest joy. <laughs> it's like, woo, look at them go. I gotta stop with the boob jokes. 
But see, I can get hey, away you... with this. No, no, you just slow down. We're having trouble keeping abreast of you. Ah. <laughs> uh, I'm the only uh, one who seems to be able to say, get away Scott, with this. Scott, get the booby prize. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Oh, that was just tit for tat, Mike. <laughs> you slay me. I'll I can, punish uh, him later. Stop inflating the humor. Someone implant some sanity to this conversation. <laughs> there is no sanity. It's endless boobs. How do you make sanity out of that? Sorry. To be to be fair to the game, for all of its uh, for all of its fanservy sort of double entendre dialogueness, uh, there was actually a pretty competent RPG game there. It was quite yeah, a lot of fun to play. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. The, battle the, the battle system, with the exception of forced evasion, um, you know, is 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 very smooth and and you know made fights fun and enjoyable. So, if you haven't yeah, played endless. I mean, sure, you have the battle system of well. this game is basically... I mean, it's kind of what I wish Xenosaga's battle system was. It's got a lot of cool flash attacks. It's a lot of fun. Kind of good boss fights. It's just a lot of fun. Hey, Garrett, you haven't piped up for a while, and I thought you played it. What's your thought on the battle system? Just to make sure, we're on the DS one right now, right? Yeah. Nice. Um, I liked it. I thought it was, uh... Definitely faster pace, kept you engaged, from what I played at least. You didn't finish it? No, no, unfortunately not. I got close, but, well, kind of close. But no, I didn't finish it. Even. Oh, oh then our unveiling of the Einst as the villains must have come as a great shock to you. But that's <laughs> you here. I had selective listening to it, because I, I do plan on finishing it. Some of those last few oh, boss fights are just a slog, though. It's like, this is not a challenge, it's just a lot of hit points. Yeah, the last three boss fights in particular are really bad for that. Uh, hey, here we go, the Phantom, the Op, and the Nocturne all together, and you got to beat the crap out of them before they do it to you. Yep, and you have to face the uh, Valkshine Lishkite, the final boss, twice. One, once without once without his shoulder pads, and then once with his shoulder pads, which is supposed to invoke the uh, the uh, Alchemy's unit from uh, OG two. So, goody, hmm. good times. Not good well, John, times. You want to talk about Exceed yet, or should we save that for import corner? Save that for import. Yeah, save it for import. Even though I thought Sam would be interested in Exceed. I am, but I'm sleepy, and it's past my bedtime. Well, we kept you awake for a while with our lovely boob discussion, and now I'm afraid that the energy has finally sapped from Sam, so she'll probably have to leave us before we can discuss what exceeds boob situation is. <laughs> oh, hey, I've seen them. It's nice. <laughs> See, I still I regret linking this- you that YouTube ga- uh, that YouTube video. No, you don't. Actually, by you, I should say John, because I have not played this one yet, since I still hope Atlas will bring it over. But that's another story. Yeah, I'm also hoping Atlas will bring it over. (sighs) 
Okay, that might mean that it's about time to go to the import corner. All right, uh, I'm running away. Bye, Sam. We say, we say good night to Miss Sam, and while we all give her a big, huge hug, good night. <laughs> I love you, you guys. All. Listen to some music, and we'll be back with the import corner. It's only fitting that we keep talking about OG1 and OG2 because they were remade for the PS2 as original generations. Ha 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 ha. Yes, a very clever title. And a fair number of things have changed, but they're the core games at heart. And I know John can chime in with uh, things that he remembers about these two because... Um, okay. Yep. Uh, well, basically, um, the changes that they made were... Uh, well. For the start, there's the graphics. Um, the original original generations was constructed by the same people who made Super Robot Wars MX on the PS2, which means that the uh, the, the battlefields are now kind of like 3D maps, and each of your units now has a kind of a 3D map sprite, and all of the battle animations have been upgraded to kind of relatively high quality, very smooth, fluid 2D sprite animation, and it looks well pretty damn good. Um, the entire game kind of feels like it's got a bit more of a, a kind of, you know, personality to it because it, all of the characters now have, um, uh, while the game yes. retains, like... The, Almost the, the, everyone has a theme song now. Uh, oh, I completely forgot. During our character roundup, we forgot about Tasku. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Tasku's cool. Yeah, I thought yeah. we did. Um, he's, he's, a, great. he's a tank. He has a, he has a brick wall. Also lucky. Yeah, and has, okay. he doesn't get a theme song in Original Generations, but in OG Gaiden, the Guy Gun Scudo gets a really awesome theme. Yeah. So, in, so basically, um, while the the kind of same amount of like um, character text, you know, there's still a lot of talking. But when you actually get down to the battles, all of the characters now have, or most of them now have, quite unique theme songs, and they also now have voices. You know, so they actually have a kind of. Yeah, oomph um, beside. Although, admittedly, most of the characters who appeared in, um, original, uh, the first original generations games on the GBA by that point had had a voiced appearance in Super Robot Wars somewhere, although I don't believe all of them had. Yeah, wasn't uh, Rado's first appearance in OG1? Yeah. 
some characters some characters didn't appear until until OG one and therefore didn't have a voice. But then original generations gave them one. Um, which means you could get to hear um, Ingram's incredibly hammy delivery of his um, Axion Buster attack, which is kind of silly. Um, the yeah, other thing in- you're too busy watching the attack itself and hoping that it's not going to kill you to get too into the ham. Yeah, um, I mean, it, 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 um, original generations also does things like um, oh, the twin system. Yes, the twin system is a, a sort of major. Um, change into how uh, units are managed on the battlefield. Uh, when your morale hits 110, bearing in mind you normally deploy at 100, um, a, a character can be twinned with another unit and they will automatically perform things like um, support attacks with each other. Um, and also, uh, being in a, a twin sort of uh, twin squad, as it were, unlocks a seventh a very expensive SP command that usually co- that takes um, a considerable number of SP points from both pilots. However, um, this is the only place in um, the original generation series you'll see um, very powerful effects like Soul, which is like a, an enhanced version of Hot Blood, yep. which really allows you to crank crank a lot of damage out of your units. And many um, of the battle masteries in OG1 become much easier when you can twin two double units together to get those bosses that want to fly away after a certain level of hit points. <laughs> yep. Um, OG, both OG and OG2 also have a number of additional stages. Um, and just, completion- just OG2. OG1 doesn't have any additional yeah. stages. Um, OG2 has a number of additional stages. Um, and also completion of OG1 and OG2, I think, is required. Unlocks a hidden uh, episode, OG2.5, which is kind of a lead-in to OG Gaiden in a kind but of... But if you have OG thing. Gaiden, there's no point in playing 2.5 because the stages are all replicated there. Yep, with, some, with a couple of minor changes. And in OG2, uh, you do get to play... You do get Rawl on your side, and he doesn't get to do much in OG2. That's for Gaiden, but he's still neat to have. Yep. Yeah, basically, um, OG2 expands on the Shadow Mirror backstory. Several of the opening stages actually take place in the Shadow Mirror dimension before Axel leaves, um, which introduces the protagonists of Super Robot Wars R for the GBA as, uh, into the OG continuity. Um, it also introduces the OGR villain, Duminas, um, as well as the interactions that they had with Axel prior to the, the uh, events of OG2. Um, in OG2, uh, instead of getting to fight Stern Einst Register twice, you don't. You only get to fight it once. Yep. That's that saddened me a little bit, but I can sort of understand it. Hmm. There, I think, um, and and there are also there's a number of other episodes, uh, missions added to the beginning of the game. Um, which uh, is a kind of uh, it's a side story um, hostage situation yeah, it, type. Yeah, it sets gets... up a couple of new Neo DC guys who you will see more of in Gaiden, but they both stick around to provide ready-made antagonists for whenever we get an OG three or an OG four or whatever Bon Presto is going to call it. Yep, and they're both OG two seven or something. <laughs> <laughs> Or, uh, OG random word of English that doesn't really fit with anything. 
<laughs> Although oh, one of one, yeah, one of the uh, one of these characters, uh, Murata Azrael, is a um, is a is a similar um, sword user to um, Master Rishu who taught Zenga. Um, and he, he is a very nasty opponent, is his custom, he has a custom, a heavily customized Garlion unit, which is really, really nasty, f- fierce melee combatant. Yeah, especially at that point in the game, because you've had yeah, no you chance to fight, Yeah, and you have to fight him at, like, in, like, stage five or something. Um, and he develops a, a he quickly develops a rivalry with Bullet, but... The rivalry is so one-sided because at that point in the game, Murata can easily one-shot him with his unit. It's, it's ridiculous. And then there's that, and there's that aforementioned stage, which is really just exists just to get Lafina in a nightdress, and for Murata to show up again and be very annoying. Oh, yep. and to upgrade the Gigan Scudo to the Gigan Scudo Duro, which is interesting. Yep. Um. Uh, I, think that pretty, I think that pretty much covers it, really. Is there anything Yeah, there else? is one other level when Rawl shows up in the OG continuity instead of the Shadow Mirror continuity, and Gilliam and Lamia have to go over and save him from the wrath of Axel. <laughs> Which was... Uh, oh, that was actually, speaking of Axel, that reminds me, they changed his characterization a bit. Because um, apparently in OG2, Axel was a bit of a, was a, bit of a douche. Um, <laughs> so they they kind of they kind of changed it in in original generations to be more of a kind of um, he's I don't know he's more of a kind of anti-villain type character. Um, he isn't quite. Yeah, he's not quite as much of a he's not quite as much of a dick to Lamia or Echidna <laughs> for that matter. Um, and ultimately, this serves him rather well when OG Gaiden runs rolls around. Well, yeah, there's nothing like a little retcon to bring back popular character, which is what OG Gaiden pulls not once but twice, so yep. that you can get Alphamy and Axel back, even though they died at the end of OG2. <laughs> well, died in quotes, yeah. Right, that's that's why I said retcon. <laughs> retcon is everyone's friend. Well, the other, I think the other, I think the other retcon that people were irritated about was it seems that um, in OG two when Lee commits the the rather atrocious sin of attempting to ram a battleship with the, with a drill on the front, um, OG uh, sorry original generations appears to have changed his uh, his final appearance so that it looks like he may have actually retreated from that fight, meaning he may crop up again sometime in the OG continuity. Presumably with a massive, right. uh, you know, revenge shtick with Tetsuya. Um, right. So they'll probably explore that later. Just what we needed, another villain. Well, yeah. maybe, I don't know. Okay, so OG Gaiden, then. <laughs> yeah, we begin that uh, slightly before the end of OG2, actually, with the Crywolves, who are pretty cool, and they're mopping up leftover Einstein Shadow Mirror opponents and finding Axel uh, not quite dead in the remnants of the White Star. They pull him out just before total destruction. And that's how we get Axel coming back. And Alpha Although, he, uh, I forget, it doesn't have, hasn't that changed his personality again by this point? He's kind uh, of wised up after OG2, so... Well, he definitely seems to have mellowed. Yeah. 
And then for a while, if you've seen the three episode OVA of Super Robot Tyson, then you'll have seen some of the plot elements that start cropping up when Professor Jurgen and his ODE system start popping up. And he's fairly challenging for that point in the game, actually. He has something like 300,000 HP, I think. Yeah, no, a... He has no regen, but he has insane defense. And uh, I think you have a time limit where it's not really optional. You need to beat him in under eight turns or game over. Yeah, and also you're missing a few um you're missing a few vital pilots at that point as well. Yeah. So and Yeah, after, that fight that fight's not pleasant. After that point something called the Sordian shows up in Earth orbit. And the Sordian will eventually yield to you Folka in his Yaldabaoth, which is awesome, because Folka is damn good to have on your team. It's a super DBZ mech. <laughs> well, well, Folker is basically through mountains. Yeah, Folker is basically just Kenshiro from Fist of the North Star in a giant mecha, and and Kenshiro, I believe, was based off Bruce Lee anyway, which means Folker by default is just all kinds of awesome, and so is his mech. Well, yes, as we all know, Bruce Lee beat Chuck Norris once upon a time. That tells you how awesome Bruce Lee was. <laughs> yep. But yeah, Falker spends his time kind of summoning dragons, fly-kicking things, and eventually punching people through mountains. And you, near the end, you get his friends, Fernando, friend, I use that very <laughs> loosely, and... But Fernando is ordered to your side. <laughs> and Arian, who is considerably more useful, I like his mech's 1,000 hit attack. Oh, yeah. And you get some other and people... And he has the theme. awesome theme. <laughs> Yes, that is an awesome thing. Uh, real, uh, Raul uh, catches up with Fiona, who was uh, lost after the uh, Dimension Cross incident, where they ended up in the OG continuity. Yeah, and Fiona and was really useful. Um, and they get their they get their they get their upgrade frames out of that. Um, uh, let's uh, see. Uh, we'll, the, we'll come uh, to the, allies soon, I guess. The uh, the, the cry wolves are um, the cry wolves are interesting. Is um, they basically have taken their um, backstory out of Super Robot Wars MX, where the cry wolves squadron in that was decimated by not by um, remnants of the Einst, but were killed in the uh, MX continuity by Devil Gundam from G Gundam. Um, and they all, uh, although they're never actually shown in combat in Super Robot Wars MX, their map sprites all look like guest pens, which is, was a nice nod to Super Robot Wars at the time. Yeah. But it now looks like, um, although um, OG Gaiden effectively destroys the Crywolf squad um, and kills one of its named characters, it effectively forms the setup to allow the uh, original plot that was in Super Robot Wars MX to take place in the OG continuity. So, but they haven't actually started, they haven't actually kind of followed through on that yet, so that will probably happen in the next OG game whenever they decide to get off their ass and make it. <laughs> yeah, right now they're focusing on portables, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, gotta turn okay. out more DS games without any Tamino shows. <laughs> Okay, let's cover the antagonists who are in the Sordian. There's Magnus, who looks like... What, what, 
What does Magnus look like, John? I don't know. He has lips that are as big as the rest of his head. He has a mech that looks like one of those Russian fold-out dolls. It's also extremely fat, with a really large laser cannon. And annoying defense. Mm. uh, Magnus manages to to accomplish one thing in the entirety of OG Gaiden, and that's to successfully disarm Zenga. Um, which is fine until Zenga just basically switches back on all of the sort of non-sword-related attacks that his mecha has always had, but he's never used because he prefers his sword. And kind of, you know, you kind of waltz over yeah, and Magnus. suddenly, and suddenly Zenger has an attack with long range, which he's never had before. <laughs> I know, shocking, isn't it? Yeah. Of course, you can't use Tornado Blade when he's in that frame. Too bad. I uh, let's see here. Okay, then there's the king of the carnages. I'm skipping over Macius, Macius with her little cat robot friends. Those were interesting. And uh, sure, yeah, sure, King Alcade. Yes, who has an awesome boss theme. And is nice enough after you've beaten him the first time to shift to his new robot to fight you, but you get all your SP recharged, which compared to what you're going to have happen is very nice. Yep. That's an epic fight. And then there's Dunamis and her little, uh, her, there's her trio of, of, of little help, uh, of Homan Kalai. Um, Lalia. Venus and Lariel, Ralia. You could say that several ways. Most of them yep. are unpleasant. Tiz is basically yeah. shrill and annoying. Lalia is attempting to be serious but failing, and Des- Desponis is apologetic, to say the least. Well, I got Tiz. Axel shot her down once, which was nice. <laughs> Actually, I just realized we completely forgot Fighter Raw. Yeah, Fighter Raw. One takes fighter on that one. Fighter Emmy, wow. I'm sorry. Yeah. There's just too many kind of... characters to keep track of. Yeah. Because it's another one of those cross continuity things that, you know, the kind of, the, the, the Super Robot Wars meta fiction is really starting to strain under the weight <laughs> of, like, sheer crossover. Um, even though, you know, technically the, the original generation games aren't supposed to be crossovers. <laughs> Um, but yes, uh, d- uh, basically, uh, a character named um, Korto Azuma, um encounters something called the um, the uh, the raw armor, and so he kind of transforms in a in a kind of Japanese live action esque way into this character called Fighter Raw, um, and pilots this massive mecha called the Compatible Kaiser. Well, as and Fighter Four, he's also the only person to fight without a robot for any stretch of time, which is probably why yes. he showed up in Exceed. Yes. Um, basically, uh, his his sister gets kidnapped, and they they uh, force her into the Emmy armor, and they pilot she pilots something called the G Thundergate against you sometimes, and then basically you snap her too. And then merge the G Thundergate with the compatible Kaiser, and you get this, you get the G compatible Kaiser, which is just hilariously broken. 
Yeah, that was pretty damn useful, I have to say. Yep. Uh, okay, we mentioned Dunamis's homunculi. What about fighting Dunamis herself or itself? I, I don't well, know if you remember gender To be pretty honest, after fighting Shuriking Alcade, uh, Dunamis was kind of easy. Yeah, she had weird looking attacks, but she wasn't too difficult, especially since she had no hit point regen, which by that yeah. point is a surprise, but hey, I'll go with it. I mean, considering where, if, where she kind of like fits in stage wise, there's like nasty things on both sides. She's the kind of breather. Oh, but after her, uh, okay, OG Gaiden is somewhat of a balance between OG1 and OG2 difficulty wise. It's mostly manageable. Then you get to Dark Brain. Dark Brain is Dynamis' boss. Dark Brain shows up with exactly six grunts for you to build up will from. They each have 220,000 hit points, and if you don't fight them, if you try to go straight for him, uh, you're an idiot. And they, they will snipe you to death. They are yes, really are, nasty. These are not things you can afford to ignore. And then Dark Brain himself not only has level 9 prevail. Not only has 30% hit point regen, not only has insane defense. Did I mention he has 370,000 hit points? I should. But here's the best part. When you beat him, and this will not be easy, he changes to his other form, which has lower defense but still has level 9 prevail, and 570,000 hit points. 580,000. Okay, yeah. <laughs> what's 10,000 10, hit points when we're talking about numbers this large? Yeah, well, and, and he still has the 30% HP regen. Yep. And a, nasty, a much nastier attack. Yes, where he spends so, most of the time like laser beaming you through planets. Yeah, whatever he does, it seems to disintegrate the Sordian and cast you into a universe that he is busily destroying with every shot. Yep. What looks like a gigantic clawed hand that stretches to astronomical size. Yep. And, yeah, if you can get through that, then you finally get to face Shu Shurikawa, who was actually on your team for two battles, but you probably shouldn't pump any any money into upgrading him because uh, that would be a waste. Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. <laughs> Because, to be brutally honest, I think most people saw it coming because it's kind of what Shu does. In several of the really old Super Robot Wars games, um, fighting Shu was a was kind of... In, in fact, the the, stage, the name of the stage you fight him in, uh, Ragnarok, is, is a reference to the older Super Robot Wars games where you often fought Shu as the final boss. And instead of the regular Granzen, which you pitted around with a couple of times, he now has the... Sort of three hundred twenty. Yeah, three hundred twenty thousand HP Neo Grandson. A little bit nasty. Yeah, it's still a lot. Um, however, after, after Dark Brain, after Dark Brain, this is not insurmountable. No, it's it's also not particularly difficult. If you can dodge his map attacks, if you can dodge his regular attacks, he goes down really quite easily. Yeah, he so. tosses a whole. He tosses seven Valcyones in your face that require your attention, but they're nothing next to what Dark Brain threw at you. Yeah. Shu really is a breather after what after the, the horrors of Dark Brain. Um so it it's it's not exactly um it's not exactly what I would call anticlimactic because I don't know, after Dark Brain you probably don't want to fight something, you know, harder. 
because <laughs> you'd probably go mad. But, you know, at the same time, they could have made his fight a little bit more difficult, even if it just meant beating down the Granzen first. So. Yeah, it was a slight anticlimax, but he's certainly not weak, and if you decide to get stupid, then he will school you for it. Yep. And there's OG Gaiden. I think we've covered pretty much everything. Can you remember anything else, John? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Um, there's, uh, I'm trying to think, there's just a bunch of other, I think we may have missed a few characters. Mostly satellite ones again, but. Yeah, uh. The things like, um, uh, Kyle's subthread. And the other one who, um, joins Rawl eventually as subcharacters. What's his name? Um. Raji, there we go. Yeah, Raji. One, uh, Raji and Mizuho are the, uh, the, the, the technicians who built the, uh, the engine in the excellence machines, which Raul and Fiona pilot. Oh, oh, Master Rishu. We forgot about him. Oh, yeah, Master Rishu, uh, Zenga's teacher. Yes, the guy who in a memorable scene in OG2, you didn't see it, but you saw someone describe how he was blocking the bullets with his sword. This is the yep. guy who hops in a Grungust and joins you. Yep. Pops in a Grungus, joins your party, tries, does do reasonably well kicking ass, but tends to be overshadowed a little bit by his, um, well. Pupils. His, yeah, by his pupil. <laughs> well, yeah, t- uh, pupils, because Bullet's also technically one of his pupils. Yeah, and yeah. since you get the Koryuo Ryuko again, then Bullet will have every reason to be... A Although, admittedly, uh, actually, speaking of them, actually, there is a, um, a another... Mis- you are attacked a couple of times by a mysterious Chokijin with a fish spear. Yes, and um, I can only assume that will be followed up on in a subsequent game, because it yep. doesn't amount to much here. So, yeah, because an OG Gaiden is essentially, a, is essentially considered a side story. I think people are kind of drumming their fingers and waiting for Bampresto <laughs> to announce the inevitable sequel that will hopefully start resolving some of these outstanding plot threads. I mean, the other, the, the real, I think the reference that really got on everyone, you know, started to, to may have irritated a few people was, um, right at the beginning of, um, the original generations one part in original generations, um, Ingram um, is seen prior to his infiltration to the SRX team speaking to the person who eventually takes over his roles and responsibilities in another game. It, 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 it's almost as odd as um, that white-haired pretty boy from Evangelion referencing events that happen in other Super Robot Wars games. Um, it just... <laughs> Uh, you know, if you if you're gonna if you're gonna reference Cobra Gordon from Alpha Three, just hurry up and actually include him. Uh, this is done again in OG Gaiden, where the um, uh, to, uh, Toma Kano, the pizza delivery boy, who eventually goes on to pilot the uh, Ryo and the Dai Ryo in in Alpha Three, is um, one of the hostages taken captive during OG Gaiden um, by Magnus, actually. Um, so they are dropping very subtle hints that, you know, it's kind of, they're starting to introduce characters that will be extremely important in continuity later. And they just, they, they haven't announced the next game, so they're making all their fans kind of hold on and wait for it. It's just. Yes, yeah, so and yeah. OG Guide is three years old now, and we've seen no signs of the next official sequel. That's odd. 
Yeah. Hurry up, Van Presto. Your fans want more. Okay, now, since I haven't played Exceed, you get to talk about it for a little while, and then, well, I guess we can list off every other game in the series, because pretty much all of them are guaranteed not to come out in English. Yep. Um, so, Endless Frontier Exceed is basically a, a, a direct continuation of the ending of Endless Frontier, where the various fragmented worlds, as mentioned, merge together um, in into one sort of conjoined world. This also brings, interestingly, brings another couple of sort of world fragments in, including um, one where new main character um, Aladi Nash comes from. Um, Aladi himself is basically um, Falker, or it's a slightly more clueless version of Falker. Um, and bringing with him is a character called Nage uh, Hausen, um, a 117-year-old princess um, who... Who certainly does not look 117. <laughs> no, who is referenced um, several... Who, whose lineage is referenced several times in the original game, but they were all referenced as having sort of left under mysterious circumstances. So basically, the... the, the, um, the Exceed sort of starts with several prologue chapters which deal with how um, the sort of various new characters kind of come together um and also shows um after axel and um axel and alphamy got into a, a bit of spot of bother along with fighter raw in a drama cd set after the events of og gaiden god this is getting complicated um so i do announce that they're going somewhere else somewhere yeah. the front and, here uh, um well, Axel goes looking for, for research data into to Project EF, which is blatantly <laughs> supposed to stand for Endless Frontier. Um, yeah. And to, for some event explained in, a, in an audio CD, which I haven't seen a translation of yet, um, he ends up with Alphamy in Endless Frontier without his mech. Um, and he has amnesia, which has reverted him to his cheerful um, idiot Axel, which is... Uh, something carried over from an, a much older Super Robot Wars game. Um, later on, yeah, Super Robot Wars A, if Axel is picked as the main character, uh, he's suffered from, he suffers from amnesia and makes kind of somewhat crude passes at most of the women um, and then has to apologize it late for it later when he gets his memories back. Um, but uh, also, uh, later on, you run into... Um, Fighter Raw, who does recognize Axel because he doesn't have amnesia. Um, whereas Axel's sort of completely clueless. Um, mo- all of the original characters make a return, um, and join you as, as playable characters. Um, Axel is a new playable character. Who else am I missing? There's another player. Oh, and Aladdin and Neige are both playable. Um, and most of the, mo- pretty much, <laughs> most of the supporting cast sort of heroes and villains alike um, end up joining the heroes side as kind of support characters you can call on to do single attacks um, this includes members of the orchestral army um, and pretty I think pretty much all of the characters coma um, who else uh, even Telos, just you know, even Telos, even Telos and Sire put sort of put aside their differences with 
uh, characters on your team and actually kind of temporarily join your side. Does Dorothy um, join? <clears throat> yep, Dorothy does. Um, you meet a few new Pretty, characters. Uh, Pirate like, Anne? Yep, Pirate Anne joins. Um, you meet a couple of new characters like um, uh, a character called um, Cleo, who has an obsession with sweets, who you meet in the uh, the uh, the graveyard, which I think was a location in the original game. Um, who I think kind of gets into a lot of arguments with Dorothy, who also joins you. Um, and basically, the the the, uh, the plot revolves around. Um, a new group of enemies um, who are based, who are sort of loosely based off the the other Shura characters, the other Carnage characters from Oji Gaiden. Um, the actual villain is um, is basically put into the body of W O Five, aka Wardan Yimir's predecessor, effectively making um, the, the 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 final boss is basically a version of the Thrugilmir. With a massive drill sphere, it's <laughs> kind of awesome, actually. Um, wow! I think that about covers it. I did. I have to say the, the problem I've had with Exceed is um, obviously I've been playing the kick through the game in. I, I imported the game, so I've been playing it through in Japanese, and um, uh, the plot did make sense at the time, but I did have to kind of consider there, there, uh, an external FAQ which kind of details the plot has only just gone up very recently. Um, so I'm just sort of filling in the gaps, you know, sort of gaps yeah. in my knowledge as far as the plot goes. So, yeah, and uh, they've improved, um, they've sort of improved the system a lot, the battle system. Um, the forced evasion mechanic, um, which caused a lot of trouble in the original, you at least now have a kind of visible progress bar telling you how long it'll take until an enemy can trigger forced evasion um, by sacrificing your own special bar, it's possible to do forced evasion yourself, thus denying the enemy doing very powerful attacks against you. Um, and uh, it is also possible to do things like, um, while the original had support attacks, it's now also possible to do support defend, meaning that it's possible for um, your weaker characters to be defended by slightly stronger ones. And doing a support def- defend action also puts the character in kind of like a guard stance, which reduces damage by quite a lot. Hmm. So, uh, yeah. I think that about covers it, really. Oh, yeah, and the, the, the humor's still there. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, well, looking at Hen's, Henna, Henna, Hen, whatever. Hen. Looking at her characters, um, there's pretty much no way the Endless Frontier gang would not remark upon her. Yeah. And then um it characters like uh sort of Nays just kind of join in with with the hilarity effectively. So she has a very unusual weapon actually. Uh Neishhausen is is kind of big. she's got a she shares a name with um uh Scheinhausen from the OG continuity. Um but most of her Ref- most of her attacks and and sort of other bizarre references are actually references to the legend of Snow White. Um, so, because uh, uh, a lot of her a lot of her attacks, as well as a couple of her story elements, revolve around mirrors. Her attacks have apples and repeated references to the number seven. Huh. Um, okay. 
And also, there's things like, for example, if you recall in the in the original game, there was um, a uh, a ship called the Neverland. Um, in Endless Frontier Exceed, you meet W03, um, who is called Pete Payne, which sounds rather similar to a certain um, character. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, have, basically, a movie about sixty years ago that Disney made. Yeah. So basically, Endless Frontier kind of uh, Endless Frontier Exceed kind of merges together the um the 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 tries to put in elements of the OG continuity, it throws in a bunch of new plot elements and then a bunch of really, really strange references to things like Peter Pan and um, Snow White. And, and so it, it, it's, a remarkably, um, it's a remarkably charming game, and the, the battle system is, is as good as it is in, if not better, than Endless Frontiers. It's definitely worth a, a, a look into, um, but obviously there's the hope that Atlas will actually you know, bother translating it at some point when they're not busy making PSP games. Okay, so Scott, Nathan, you want to take on the awesome task of telling all the listeners the Super Robot Tyson games that they will never see officially in English? Uh, wow, that's a lot of games. Um, well, just start, start with any letter of the alphabet. Those ones <laughs> are off the table. Yeah, alphabet letters. Lots of alphabet letters. A, uh, and uh, throw the Greek alphabet in there while you're at it. Um, let's see here. GameCube, XO, Shin Super Robot Wars, there's uh, Z, the inevitable sequel to Z. Um, Still waiting. There's all of all of the GBA ones aside from original generations 1 and 2, so A, R, D, and J. I know we covered that with the alphabet. Compact, Compact 2, Compact 3. Yeah, we have to cover the alphabet. We forgot K and W on the DS. Yep, K, W, L. Impact. Uh, alpha, Alpha Gaiden, Alpha 2, and Alpha 3. F, F Final. Yep. Neo Super Robot Wars. GC and XO, which are the same game. Really. Compact, Compact Part 1. Compact 2 Part 1, Compact 2 Part 2, Compact 2 Part 3, and Compact 3. That's easy. Um, oh, and Original Generations itself. They probably won't bother. And Original Generation Gaiden. We're probably not going to yeah. get that. And uh, Super was Neo for the Wii. Scramble Commander and Scramble Commander 2. Uh, the entire Sister Another Century episode series. Yeah, that's not really Super Wars, though. Yeah. They show up... <laughs> Slightly no, different. They, show up in they a, do they... show up in. Ah, oh, yes, they do. I wonder if that'll be canonical for the next OG game. Uh, and also, um, uh, the two PSP remakes. So, A Portable and MX Portable. Portable. Oh, and the Z Special Disc. <laughs> if they're not going to yeah. release Z, they won't release that. <laughs> for obvious I reasons. would have to agree. Damn it, I really want Alpha. I want to watch Gendo Ikari beat, uh, or, uh, Bright beat some sense into Shinji Ikari. Ah, uh, yeah, but the thing about Alpha, the thing, the glorious thing about Alpha 3 is, is by the time Alpha 3 ro- rolls around, is Shinji's grown a spine. Um, which he, um, you know, which I think he quite enjoys, you know, taking, basically marching down to 
whatever the hell the name of that place is at the bottom of Nerve HQ and effectively yeah. telling his father that he's a jackass. Um, this is like after the stage that effectively recreates the third impact where the alpha numbers, the heroic characters in the, the alpha series prove they're far too hot-blooded to turn to Tang. <laughs> Although it does, uh, it does allow um, it does allow Amaro to have some very creepy visions of Char. But hey, uh. okay, people, I think it may be time to wind it down. Yay! We have already made this the most epic backtrack ever. Yeah. What do you expect? The longest two shows remember. for this, but we think we can do two for Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can only imagine the flood of angry fanboy mail we're going to get when they see that this podcast has gone on for nearly twice as long as the Final San- Final Fantasy VII one. <laughs> I'm writing mine right yeah. now. I'm almost. Done. I've uh, I've actually I've actually put the GPS coordinates to Mr. Mickey's house <laughs> on the website. So <laughs> if you wish to deliver him your letter in person or toilet paper his house. Uh, and while I'm putting that, that information up on RP Jack Packtrack, we're going to let you listen to some wonderful uh, music, and we'll get ready for the final lap. Exhaustive amount of information on this wondrous series that I know you hold true and dear to your heart. I am sure that you have a contest question that is befitting of the epicness of this podcast. Uh, relatively. 
it's a slight essay. All you have to do is give is give me a letter that I could conceivably pass on to someone who knows Atlas's PR and justify bringing Xseed over. That's what you have to do. There you go. One tiny little essay letter that will get these guys to bring over Mike's dream game. <laughs> and you're going to send that to Albert Odyssey at hotmail.com and you will win your choice of one of my leftover games over here <laughs> that have not sold on eBay yet for whatever reason. I have no idea why not. And um, I I will not be able to get that out. So uh, in the next few weeks, I'll be in, I will be incognito. So please allow four to six weeks for a delivery. And, <laughs> and while you're waiting for that, you'll be able to listen to our next RP Backtrack, our next show. Number 29 will be called Have Gun Will Travel by Dragoon. We'll be talking about Freedom Force and the Panzer Dragoon Saga. And what's our import corner for that week, Mr. Mike? Oh, it's a game called Marika, which I'll go into then because I don't think anyone knows about it right now. Mm, sounds interesting. And as always, we encourage our listeners to record and mail in their two-minute reviews on any of the games we're going to be talking about on the next show, as well as any of the ones we've talked about in any of the previous shows. We're, we're welcome to go back and revisit some of those old guys. You can follow us at twitter.com slash rpgamer or become our biggest fans at facebook.com rpgamer to find all the latest news and excitement and reviews that's going on at rpgamer.com. And I want to give a big thanks to everybody who is listening. I want to thank my co-host, Mr. Mike Mickey, for doing an outstanding and wonderful job putting together this absolutely epic podcast. I just <laughs> pretty much sat back and listened with the rest of the audience. Because you haven't part. played any of them yet. No, no. I, I did pop it into the Game Boy, though, so it's there. <laughs> it's it's there. It's got a place in the Game Boy. Let me, let me check right now because i got my Game Boy Advance uh, right here. Yep, here it is. Super Robot Original Generation. I started playing it and realized I didn't real I didn't know what half of the uh, acronyms or whatever they were using for the statistics meant. And that it was probably, probably not the smartest game to take on a trip without the instruction book or an FAQ handy. So... Uh, I'm sure it might have been worth the $15 or whatever it cost to access the internet on the airplane, but uh, discretion being the better part of the valley and the fact that I am on a budget prevented me from doing so. But it is in there. It is It is in there right now. Um, I want to thank our panel of guests, Mr. Mr. Garrett Licker. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. You survived your very first RPG backtrack. How does it feel? It feels good, and it just happens to be the longest backtrack I've ever heard from you guys. Just, just happens to be. I, we're going to really test the servers with this one. <laughs> Mr. John Callender, thank you so much. You contributed so much to the discussion, and you did it with such flair. Hey, uh, what can I say? I like the series. And again, our, our, our lady listenership has gone up by about 300%. Woot. Thanks to your stimulating accent. Mr. Nathan Schluckamater, whatever your name is. You also survived your very first backtrack, RPG backtrack, which happened to be the longest. How does it feel? Uh, grueling. Very grueling. <laughs> grueling, but you survived, you right? You don't know the meaning of the word grueling. It's half past five in the goddamn morning. <laughs> Yeah, and <laughs> I went to bed at that time Thursday. <laughs> Nathan, uh, Nathan, or uh, is there anything you want to shout to the audience before we move on? 
Oh, yeah, a uh, random thing to note. It's actually a pretty cool game, like, it's a total super robot chorus clone for the iPhone. That's kind of cool. What's the name of it? Um, give me just a second. Oh, man, but that would require me to buy an iPhone, and... It's called The War I, of Eustrath, so look for it. The War of who? The War of Eustrath. E-U-S-T-R-A-T-H. It's... Just a total Super Robot Wars clone. It's kind of fun. Oh, coming okay. soon to an iPhone near you. For how much? Do you know how much it is? Uh, not really. Cheap. Not iPhone really? game. I'm sorry, Mr. Calendar, Mr. Liquor, did, did you have anything you wanted to, to say to the audience? I think I've already said my piece. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you have any reviews or articles or anything at RP Gamer you want to point out to everybody? I, uh, all I can really say is, uh, remember, I just, I'm just a guy who works in the news department. If there's anything written by Jonathan Yeoworth on the main, on the main page, I probably put it there. There you go. And Mr. Scott Wackamatur, it's a pleasure to have you back on again. Yeah. Anything you want to share or say before we head on off? Go buy Dresden Files by Evil Hat. It's the best book to come out this year. Sweet. You know, actually, my wife just got a Nook. I don't read a whole lot, but she got a Nook, and that kind of encouraged me to go and check out a couple of books. So I'm reading some fantasy, really popular trilogy series that my friend recommended that's been out for just a little bit. But it's about, it's kind of like the, uh, from what he described to me, it's like The Hobbit, except Frodo fails. You know, it's like, what would have happened if Evil won? That's pretty much the premise for the story, and I guess that makes it really good. But Give me a title. <laughs> Uh, Shirley, let me see your nook. Oh, wait, it's on my computer, too. <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh, I got so many icons on here. Nook, nook. Here it is, nook for the PC. Don't leave home without it. And while the... N- there it goes. Well, I guess I'll have to wait for it to load up here. It's loading. Anyways, while that's loading, it's also one thing I forgot to point out there. If any of you guys are looking for at least the American releases of the Super Robot Tyson games, the two Game Boy, uh, the two Game Boy Advance games are going pretty cheap, around fifteen dollars used. If you want them brand new in the box, of course, that's going to set you back with about forty bucks, give or take. For Atlas games, the, that's not too bad, though. That's really not, though. No, it absolutely isn't. It's 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 a really good price for 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 games that are, as you can tell just by listening to our podcast, are so so in depth. And I and I have a lot of friends that are big fans of really deep strategy type games, and and this would just be right up their alley once you get into a lot of things that you guys were talking about as far as the stats and the leveling systems and the point systems and all that other fun stuff. The um the the more advanced game, which moves a little bit faster and has a lot more let's just say feminine enhancements uh that one <laughs> that one you know for for a used uh ds game uh, that one's actually seems to be going up because again as mike minky just mentioned it's an atlas game so they have limited releases um that one's going for about 35 40 bucks just for a used copy and a new copy will be about 60 bucks so that's a tough guy to find i'm glad i've got my boobies i, I mean i've got my um uh, Super Robot Tyson battles. Endless Sega Doohickey. Got yeah. your battles. I got my battles, yes, thank you. And the series, by the way, is Mistborn. Oh, yeah. Sound Reddit. familiar? And it's is not it? The Hobbit. 
It's why well, I just yeah, that was just what he said to me. Yeah. Like he was trying to wrap it up real quick. It's not the Hobbit, but the premise is like take your fan, take your typical. That's what he said to me. It was take your typical fantasy story like the Hobbit, and imagine that Frodo failed. Not, is that is that is that reasonable or not even close? Uh, what what I will yeah. say is he Brandon Sanderson manages to pull off the nice job breaking it hero twist three times. Nice. Like he does. Manages to do it well, at the end of every book. <laughs> Would you generally recommend for people to go out and read that series? Anything with Sanderson's name on it is good. Hell, it's almost worth reading through the first nine books of Wheel of Time get to get to him writing it. Almost. <laughs> almost. <laughs> All righty. And uh, Mr. Mike Mickey, I just want to say thank you again. You've clearly put a lot of time and effort into this. And I know that the audience will appreciate all four and almost four and a half glorious hours of this podcast if I can manage to get it all edited and uploaded uh, this week. You can do it. I, I'm hey, glad hey you everybody, got faith in we it. have to instill Phil with hot blood. Can we do it? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> To our audience, we thank you for listening to RPG Backtrack, especially if you made it this far. As always, you are the reason we do this. RPG Backtrack is a production of RP Gamer, your source for RPG news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Write your questions and comments on our boards or email jcservant at rpgamer.com and help shape our future shows. As always, listen to our previous podcast as well as our awesome sister show, RPG Cast, at rpgamer.com. Mr. Mike, for the love of all that is holy in my entire life, please send us the bed. Atlas may yet bring us OG, Endless Frontier, Exceed, and Lord of Elementals. So do not give up hope despite the company's lack of DS releases. Far more robot action will never leave Japan, however, and the only thing to do for those who crave deep tactical combat that usually includes the myriad of anime characters and mechs have no choice but to import. The two GBA entries in English are pretty darn effective gateway drugs, though.
Hey, here, here's a fun game. Grab a German beer and uh, start naming random German beers and decide if they'd be good names for robots. <laughs> <laughs> I'm drinking a Schleinhammer Roma- Rogan beer, and I think that'd be a pretty solid boss. I wouldn't want to fight a, Schleinha- a Schleinhammer. Not sure about Bex. Can- That's not big enough. Yeah. Would you guys like me to punish him later? Am I putting that in the outtake section? I mean, what was that? What <laughs> to my seconds of silence between segments? <laughs> and oh, he ruined it. Gosh, it was such a good silence, too. No, no, I'll go uh, hurt him later. Thank you, Sam. Okay. I feel better now. Let's try. <laughs> He'll be happy about it, so it won't matter. Yes, let's add this to the outtakes. I think it's appropriate. Yes. <laughs> Yay, outtakes. Hey, this reminds me of the time Glenn said he'd have sex with me. Oh, sweet mercy. It's not odd when you hear it in context as to why he said it. <laughs> RPG Gamer and RPG Backtrack do not condone the, the, uh, any proposals going on between various members during the show. All right. 15 seconds of silence, people. Starting now. <laughs>